Florida man robs a bank with a NES cartridge? Tune in tonight to find out. That's not a thing that happened. But you know what did happen? We just came back from the E3 2019 Nintendo tournaments. Hello, I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is, we're calling it the E3 2019 build-up because we are building up towards E3. It's this week. We are recording this on the eve of really all the festivities of E3 proper. We were at like day negative three with Nintendo's tournaments and we're, we just got back from that. Uh, we're also going to be talking about, you know, all the news, all the games from that. We're going to talk about the Pokemon press conferences. We're going to be talking about the, uh, the Pokemon Direct. We're going to be talking about what? The Death of Splatoon. Yeah, the Death of Splatoon, the misunderstanding of Mario's Online, the surprise of Nintendo sending people to Evo. There's a lot to go through, and this is not even like the the bulk of E3. This is just pre-E3. We're also going to be talking about a couple of third-party stories. So, um, yeah, there's a lot. We have timestampsrantown.com under this episode, which is episode 204. Uh, on the blog post or if you're on youtube just look below we have some links there but yeah we should just jump in because we came from like literally just came from i don't even know how many hours i mean we got i woke up at 5 a.m today we got to the thing at like 7 as did i right right and we got to the thing at like 7 um it went we doors opened at 10 we left at about 5 and now we're recording it's been a long day of just watching other people play video games it was fun it was fun. It was a cool tournament. But, uh, yeah, what, what do you think of the whole Nintendo's three tournaments that don't have an, a unifying name for some reason? It's just the Mario Maker Invitational, the Splatoon 2 World Championship. Did you just call it the Nintendo Invitational Series? Or the Nintendo thing. Tournament Series or something. Like, I was going on this whole tirade <laughs> throughout the day. Like, there's no unified hashtag. What hashtag do I use? How do we discuss this in a broader sense on the internet? Nintornies. Nintornies? Nintournament. Um, or, or just hashtag Nintendo Versus, kind of like they're at Nintendo Versus. Yeah, it literally. could just be the Nintendo Versus Series. Either way. I like the sound of Nintendo versus. Series. Yeah, I think that works. But regardless of their lack it of a name. It sounds classy in a way. What would you. It does sound really classy. It sounds like the Criterion Collection, but for tournaments. But uh, yeah, what do you think of it overall? Um, It dragged a little bit towards the end, but yeah. overall, I enjoyed it. Very, it, very solid play by the players. Um, Well, by most of the players. There yeah. was some not very solid play by some players. But I mean, it, overall, like, I was really impressed. It was really cool. A lot of excitement i mean you kind of get like that the same feeling when you're when i guess some people watch sports like that that's yeah no, there's definitely some i mean it was that. literally that it is an e-sport yes yeah it, it's funny because like you made a comment about how it dragged towards and i think you're right but it's funny because like it started probably the start like it started so strong like it's probably like not even in the tournament like before the tournament it was i've never we've done a couple of these we didn't go last year but we did go to the world championship in 2015 i drove past last year so i know roughly a comparison point and we went to the original smash invitational in 2014 and this one was just like nintendo was firing on all cylinders it was so well organized like usually they just have you stand out in the street in like a long line in the sun or whatever they had tents set up they had like a whole little area they had staff there they said you can't get there till 8 a.m we were there before seven and there were already like 30 staff members passing out stuff they're doing swag giveaways they had competitions you won a thing yeah we were in line well it wasn't even really a line like you it was like a corral yeah it's like, like buckets there's sections and i guess we made it to section two and at some point um one some Nintendo rep was just asking for like, oh, who thinks they're good at Mario Kart? And I went up to him and said, I know I'm good at Mario Kart. And he's like, oh, such confidence. And he put me up next to four of the people that we did one race, 200 CC, and we had to pick random. And it was Neil Buster City. And I, 
I mean, to put it kindly, like I destroyed them. Like I was. What's the unkind version of that? Actually, I don't want to know. We can't probably say it on a non-explicit podcast. I'm pretty sure everyone was like, "What's <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I mean, as, as the rep put it when he was on me, I mean, when he was watching me play with it, they're like, "Oh wow, like you really did back it up." Or yeah, like you have a very healthy lead. <laughs> Essentially, like I got blue shell, did nothing. I mean, I was, I almost overlapped them. Essentially. Yeah. And I got a really nice Nintendo backpack out like of it. Like a stitched, nice Switch backpack, yeah. Yeah, it's very... It's got to be worth okay. at least, like, 40 or 50 bucks. Yeah, and it came with some additional flags and some Nintendo Switch decals, like a Mario Maker one, a Splatoon one, and a Smash Bros. All of which were, for promotional purposes only, and probably won't be sold in those exact designs ever, so kind of cool. But, yeah, it was, like, that stuff going on. Then they had, like, a dance-off. They brought out Mario and Luigi for photo ops. They were doing all this before... This is official 8 a.m. start de- time. It was definitely the so... easiest line we've ever had to... Or the easiest yeah. period before an event starts to get in. And that's kind of from people for. who have gone to ConCon for eight years. E3 for, in my case, this might gonna be my fifth year. Like, we know lines. Yeah, we know the horrors. Like, we've had... We've we've been in, like, you know, pre-switch, pre-switch life. We've been Coast. in 3DS Street Pass life. We've been in, you know... Uh, you've done stuff at ConCon, like, overnight. And yeah. this was the most, like fun line like the most fun you could have in a line like they made it really enjoyable it was weird it went by really fast because like nintendo was out in force ahead of themselves and it's funny because like usually they've done this for years and this is i know super like inside baseball like, get to the tournament but like you don't they don't show this on tv on youtube like they don't sh- you know they don't show it in a way but it's kind of like this was honestly one of the more impressive things like nintendo wanted to treat everyone that went right and they actually went through the motions which was really nice i thought and they gave us free donuts joran kent and the other commentators came by with duncan which was also quite nice so mm-hmm. so that was cool. And then you go inside. And – oh, and I didn't even mention they gave us um, sunglasses too. Like sunglasses, flags, um, the decals, it was, uh, pins. It was, it was a lot of free stuff. And then you go inside and they, they – it was pretty well – like it was a nice size theater. They gave us free concessions. They had photo ops. It was really cool. And then they start with Mario Maker and then they do Splatoon and then they do Smash. I think we're in agreement that Smash is where it kind of bogged down because they did some weird seating thing that took like an hour but but like for the most part it was a really solid tournament and i feel bad even dissing the lesser things like oh smash seating took an hour oh we had to sit there an extra hour because like one this was all free and two and more to the point like have you ever stopped to think that regardless of how we felt it dragged at one point which we'll talk about later or like how cool it was that like oh they gave us donuts like it's crazy that if you compare this to what Nintendo or other companies were hosting 15, 20 years ago, there was nothing like this. You couldn't just go watch people play Smash and Splatoon and Mario Maker or their equivalents in the 90s in the way you can now. You couldn't just like, you know, go hang out for seven hours inside the theater at the Ace Hotel in downtown LA and just watch video games in like this sort of setup where it was like them treating you to the privilege versus you like buying a ticket and just getting the bare bones. Like it's, it's cool how much like the industry's changed. Like Nintendo basically... If you think about it, they basically took the press conferences that they used to do and took the money that it cost to put that on, put that together and just refunneled it into basically fan service. Obviously, it has marketing perks for them, but as far as like us going concerned, it was basically seven hours of fan service. So props to them for that, I guess. But I don't know. Is there any other thoughts you had on the tournament itself or the, like the overarching thing before we get into the nitty-gritty of each I game? Not really. Um, I mean, it was... It was cool, like, just seeing the crowd getting riled up. Although, I mean, there were points where, like, I felt like some people just like, kind of went overboard. But um, Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean, like, the... Um... Like, the guy directly in front of us, but... Yeah. Pretty much the whole time. Yeah. But, 
you know, besides that person. No, it, 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 the crowd was, like, mostly the level you'd expect. Like, it wasn't, like... Because I feel like, especially at E3, and no offense to anyone that goes to E3, but, you know, there's people that go, like, way overboard. Like, they're, it's almost, like, cringy, And then you don't... There doesn't seem to be an in-between between, it's like, more you're, like, you're, you're, not you're stoic or you're super overhyped. I mean, these people didn't feel like they were excited. It just sounded like they just wanted to get attention. Yeah, yeah. Because you can tell when you're generally excited. Like, there were moments, Splatoon in particular, Smash in particular, the tail end, the finale of Smash... Or the finals of Smash, I should say, um, where like there was actual like even I, who am very reserved about this sort of stuff, was like, "What?" At one point, at, I, at something that happened in Smash, I don't remember what, but uh, the yeah, double three stocks. It, I think it was the double. No, it was um, it was the three stock that happened when whoever it was on Team Japan oh, killed Kit, someone that Peach without getting hit, but did it while Peach had the fi- had a, a Smash Ball active. Like, right before they did the final smash, just went in and did I think it was Peach that they did, too. There's someone that got the smash ball, was about to use it, and then they oh. got knocked off the stage by someone who That's didn't have it. That's not that moment, then. That's oh, probably some different moment. But anyway, yeah, so let's talk about the games. We're already starting to. So um, it all started with Super Mario Maker 2. What'd you think? It was about a half hour. There was Treehouse. The Treehouse design levels at four hand-picked competitors uh, in, in, that were invited, got you play in. What was your takeaway on that? And how, what do you think of Mario Maker, how it looks at this point? I mean, honestly, to say that it felt like there were a lot of new stuff on there would be kind of like a lie. Really? It seemed pretty like, new. I'm, no, well, I don't know. To me, it felt like they were just playing Mario Maker. Sure. Like, it didn't feel like I was watching, like, a bunch of new content. With the exception of the lone Super Mario 3D World stage, mm. um, everything else just kind of felt... I mean, I don't know. Like, I really enjoyed that segment. It was. It was. It, be- it, it like, might have been the best thing. Like, like I enjoy. I really enjoyed the level design and everything. But like, as far as like the game itself and how it presented itself, like it didn't seem like like oh man, this looks like oh this convinced me. This is awesome. Like last year, well not last year, obviously, but twenty fifteen. Yeah, when we went to that Invitational, I remember that tournament was kind of the one that kind of convinced me to get the game because mm-hmm. it did look really mm-hmm. cool. I mean. I guess at that point, that's when it was really new. It was like, whoa, what kind of wacky things can you come up with? And it's like, whoa, all right, this is crazy. This is what you can do with a Mario Builder. It, it is. It but, is. I mean, I guess, to me at least, I guess it's kind of lost its luster. Or just like the... Or, or I guess the the surprise factor or the wow factor of like the fact that you can make stuff in general. I, I, I think you make a good yeah. point. No, I think you make a good point. Because I, I leaned over to you about halfway through and I'm like, wow, you know what? These levels are doing really well because the Treehouse built them. The Treehouse is part of our marketing team. You know what these all are doing really well is just showcasing the new features. So it's like, oh, here's some slopes. Oh, here's some weird bouncy donuts that have eyeballs and mouths. Why? I don't know. It's Mario. Here's the car. Here's – well, okay. But here's the car. That's new. Here's co-op where they had to tag team puzzles together. Yeah, here's cool. all that stuff. Yeah, that was actually my favorite thing where they did um, – I think yeah, it was – was it the Bowser level? No, it was right – yeah. No, it was yeah. the one before the Bowser level. Uh-huh. Yeah, but uh, like all that, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But I did – and I was like, oh, sweet. They're just giving us a, like a bucket list, like a checklist of all the new features in action for us to see. And I thought that was cool. But yes, now that you mention it, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, these are just new things in a familiar format versus the first time around where it's like, oh, my God, this is something crazy. Yeah, you're literally like, yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen next. And you kind of don't, but I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like if you see something enough times, I guess like it doesn't. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the thing about any sequel. Yeah. Is, you know, it's not if it's not it doesn't can't be you can't be surprised by it twice. Oh yeah, exactly. It's, but I it's do, not its fault in any way. I yeah, think, I mean, Dombathy did well with what they did. And I thought, yeah, I thought the levels were really cool. I do like the new features. I thought um, the last level they showed, where you had to like where they had to fight Bowser like sixteen times. Spoiler alert: if you haven't watched it yet, um, or damage him sixteen times, that was really cool. That level, like that level in particular, I was like, oh wow, you can do some really crazy stuff. Um, 
I did find it. I mean, this is true of the original Mario Maker, but I did like that. It, it, it's interesting. It was interesting to see how much more puzzly the levels got as they got more crazy. Like when they did the first level, it's like, oh, this is just some challenging platforming. And they introduced Cat Mario. That's cool. And as like the second level is like, oh, you're doing some co-op stuff. That's interesting. And then they keep going and it's like becomes more and more puzzle driven than what you expect from a norm, normal Mario game. And granted, yeah, Mario Maker 1 probably did that too. Actually, definitely did that. But just interesting to see the new ways you can build puzzles. Like on a smaller scale, it was impressive. Maybe not mind-blowing on the big scale like you were saying. But I thought, you know, looking at kind of through the lens of we've been here before, what's changed, I was still pretty impressed by it. Yeah. And and it definitely was the most interesting part of the tournament, in part because there's something new we haven't seen on some level, and in part because I think there was there was also an element I mean Splatoon came close because they got pro players for Splatoon on, to some extent, but like something about Mario Maker and the fact that Nintendo like cherry picked people sort of, for the most part worked in its favor. There's a couple guys I know you hated the fact that one of them was never running. I think it was a completionist. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of surprised me because like, well you've but he's a completionist. He goes slow. He has to go through every nook and cranny. He literally doesn't use a run button ever, I bet. But, like, stuff like that is kind of, oh, that's weird that, that they don't know how to play. But at the same time, it's like, oh, but these people all understand Mario games well. So it's kind of nice to, like, obviously Smash. The Smash guys understand Smash, but there's, like, pro level versus just, like, there's someone who did well online a few times. Yeah, but the fact it. that he wasn't running led him to yeah. not make a bunch of jumps that he should have made because True, he but running. he still got second place in the whole thing. Oh yeah, but the, well, yeah. that's it. When he started running, the yeah. first level where he that's wasn't true. running, he that's got true. destroyed. Yeah, like he couldn't even make ah, it. Ah, that's true. I still can't believe there's a part. Well, at, you know, in Mario levels, you can run over small gaps as if they're not there. Yeah, and he was jumping over them, which makes it way harder. But he did it. Like he pulled it off every time he had to jump over them. Yeah, and the, he and did the, and, it and, faster than the guy who was trying to run through them. Which he did was, it fast. He he was pretty much keeping almost on point with them but like essentially he only did it faster because he didn't die as many times by getting hit by the yeah, exactly. Falling. if he had yeah. been running he could have had more attempts at that final yeah, section and probably could have had time for it one. yeah because yeah, the first guy had many chances to fail at the Bowser thing to yeah. figure out oh I have to jump off of the icicles and he only really got to it twice because he kept jumping so maybe my point isn't so much also that they first the right guy, people and they just picked interesting also people. because the first guy was running there was like a section where like the lava rises and you have right. to like kind of stop at one point but if you're running you never have to stop. You just keep running. You jump really far right, off, and you make right. it to the next. Yeah, thing. No, but, that's true. But even when they're doing... is, literally just had to wait like five seconds each time of doing nothing because he didn't yeah. Run. And now that I think about it, even when they were doing the co-op one and they had to like run and jump to make someone boost yeah, higher, he wasn't doing yeah. it. Yeah, but so yeah, I, end, I take yeah. back. I take back. They found the right people. They found interesting people. They found people with different perspectives of how to play Mario, which oh, yeah, made yeah. it very interesting to see him go through it yeah, in different, definitely. sometimes wrong ways. But, you know, it's cool. Like, so I think, yeah, I think for me, Mario Maker stole the show. Splatoon was a very close second. But as cool as everything in Super Mario Maker 2 looked, we, we got to address the elephant in the room. This was news that came out um, earlier on than the tournament, and that is the online multiplayer situation. So last episode, I spent a lot of time praising the game, kind of like I'm doing right now for the most part. You know, I've talked about its features, the fact that Nintendo finally seemed to put together all the puzzle pieces to make, like, a proper multiplayer Mario that's online that's simultaneous hooray and then literally mere days after we published this podcast I think it was like two days later Nintendo did what Nintendo always does a kind of boneheaded backwards what are they thinking online decision and um, you know this is from the people that brought you friend codes and voice chat to a separate device Um, so what's their new move you can't actually play with your friends online at all it turns out that Mario Maker 2's online modes, both competitive and cooperative, 
will only support playing with strangers. That's horrible. Here's the explanation that Nintendo gave. Online, right? So you could do the cooperative. You could do, so yeah. that's for you, this is great because I know you only wanted to play yeah. multiplayer local. It is exactly what we were talking about last episode as being a possibility. It is like New Super Mario Brothers. It is on one screen. You have the bubbles. You're good. And, of course, you can do it with multiple switches and each have your own screen and play basically that way with freedom of to move at separate scroll speeds, so to speak. But if you want to play online, you cannot do it with anyone you know in real life. You cannot matchmake whatsoever. You can maybe fall into a random lobby with them, but you can't matchmake. And the explanation from Nintendo is that they need to do this to ensure that leaderboards don't get skewed by friends who play together and try to game the system. Which, no. Just just no. How That's not a reason. That is game not... the system is the whole point of... No, no, no. They're right. If you have a no. leaderboard and you only play with friends and you're like, oh, dude, we're going to let you win every time you get points for winning and you get points for your times you get points for your coins you get all other stuff then so you, know, you could then theoretically if it's, a, then you, then if it's the a leaderboard then you know what you do and like what literally and every other game does ranked mac uh mode well no well that's, i mean i guess you could yeah. do that but yeah you could just do with friends and it's not ranked yeah that's or i mean what a bunch of other games do and it, and they have just two leaderboards they have one that's with randoms and, one and then one with friends, with friends. See, that's why I don't buy the excuse. And not only that, but that excuse doesn't even hold water for the co-op mode because there is no leaderboard for co-op because you're cooperating. It's in the name, co-op. So I don't really know what's going on. Like, Smash Bros. Smash Bros. figured this out. That's a competitive game. Why can't the less competitive Mario Maker figure it out? I don't get it. And, like, I don't know. Like, Frank, frankly, I don't know how much I'm going to play online at all. Let's be fair. Uh, especially if, if, like, someone like you doesn't have interest in playing online. And now we can't. Like, that... You know, if, if you weren't playing online, if, like, no one else on you had the game, like, how often am I going to play online with friends? Like, is it really that big of a deal for me personally? Probably not. But it's the principle of the situation that kind of bothers me. It's, like, one of those weird one-step-forward, two-step-back moves that Nintendo always seems to pull with online. Like, some of the restrictions and decisions with Mario Maker 2, I do understand. You know, you can't transfer levels from the original Mario Maker to this one because the toolset changes. That's fine. Amiibo support is out because presumably they want to dedicate all their resources to having two entirely different level builders, a story mode, online support at all. Fine. I accept that. I mean, it sucks that with no Amiibos, that means no costumes, that means no mystery mushroom, that means no creepy, skinny, slender Mario sprite. But I can live with that. That's fine. But I just can't understand how a game with a huge graphic on its website that says play with friends and whose main new hook is multiplayer on a system where multiplayer is the main thing simply just like leaves out the most typical part of online multiplayer which is the friend part it's strange like i wouldn't say this erases the goodwill that the tournament had because like i really liked what i saw in the tournament and i'm still excited for the game but it's just like it kind of sucks that there's so much potential for building a community around this game that this just squanders like completely like imagine if a streamer let's say built a crazy stage and they want to go through it with a few of their viewers you know maybe they're a small time streamer maybe they're a big streamer either way let's say let's say the completionist is like hey guys i made a stage come complete it with me like let's do it co-op together you can't unless you go stalk him and go to his house or like perhaps a better example is look at like speed running we saw some attempts at that in the invitational you know like I feel like someone like uh, Abdallah or like was the other girl. Um, there are two of them. Well, Yellow, Queen, Yellow Killer Bee was one, and then the, the Dragon Fee oh, Free, yeah. whatever. The two of them, like, what if they want to host a speedrun race with viewers? Like, oh, compete against me. You can't. Like, it's just not a thing. And it's, it just seems like the, the only way you can do this is if you get invited to one of these invitationals, basically, or, you know, with someone of notoriety or you happen to know them in real life and it's just like the whole thing's just so silly i don't know 
Like, I'm hoping Nintendo decides to patch in multiplayer in a future update. I mean, they've done it before. They kind of did in reverse by adding local wireless to Mario Tennis Ace's um, swing mode, like, months after the game came out. That was originally only online. So, you know, if that's possible, maybe they can do this in the future. I don't know. But it's just, like, such a weird missed opportunity. Like, yeah, like, the tournament was great. Everything about Mario Maker and the tournament was great. The, you know, and them announcing that they're going to have the stages we saw at the tournament available in the game in some capacity is cool. They did that with the World Championships as well back in 2015. Or not the World Championships, the, yeah, Nintendo World Championships. But the um, odd thing is, so they brought out Tezuka, the producer of all sorts of different Mario games, including my all-time fave, Mario World. We had the chance to meet him years ago at a Best Buy, and he was incredibly nice. He was surprised that we recognized him, and now look at him. He's on stage being in the spotlight. But anyway, um, they brought him out. He's like, yeah, we're going to make all these stages available somehow. I'm like, you literally have a distribution platform built into like, your yeah, game. What is, somehow, what is somehow? What is somehow? But the it's fact tr- that they're doing like, it. He made it sound like it was more special than it really is. He made it sound like they were going to like do a DLC pack and charge for it almost. <laughs> it was weird. But uh, yeah, It's going to so, be tough. But we'll I don't do know, it. guys. We have a thing that lets us upload them at the press of a button. But, oh, I mean, we'll do it for you guys because mm. you're such good sport. You cheered loud, so you're going to get it. We're, we're going to push the button. We're going to push the button. Like, it's just like, what? <laughs> But, um, yeah, like, that's cool. It would have been nice if at the tournament, now that I think about it, it would have been cool if they showed um, maybe one of the DLC things. I mean, they're not going to necessarily start pitching DLC before the game comes out, Game comes out, but, you know, they have 3D wor- uh, World as one option that's separate from the main builder. There's obviously room for others, as we discussed. It would have been cool if they're like, hey, like, in the middle of the tournament, just surprise, here's a mode you didn't even know existed. That would have been the wow moment you were looking for, I feel like. Not to the same extent as World Championship, but if there's something... Holy out left field. They have, that if they have cool. something with like, like if they did Mar- Galaxy. If they, I would like Galaxy or even or just like a Mario sixty four mode where like everything mm-hmm. looks blocky, and they just did it without warning anyone. And that, that game was also had its own mechanics because you could yeah. like when you kick in the air, you stop your momentum and you could kind of like jump forward, kick triple jump jumps back. as well. well, long jumps. Well, I mean, um, Mario Brothers U has. Oh, all that, that. Yeah, but they don't have long jumps, so I'll, I'll go with long jump as my. I retract triple jump. I leave long jump. You can't do the hold and then jump super. I think far. you could do the long jumps in the new Super Mario World, though. They kind of listen. Have a... I'm just trying to think of Mar. Fine, you can move the camera around him with the C buttons. The there. only one where you could there punch. are no C buttons, but they'll make it. Work. The only one where you could attack and punch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you could punch Goombas in the face. Yeah. But yeah, like that would. I think that would have been probably the wow moment you were looking for, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was great. It just had a little room for improvement and the online thing is stupid <laughs> but i'm still buying the game day one so i'm a sucker i'm always forever a nintendo whore anyway so that was mario maker uh unless you have any other thoughts on mario maker before we jump to the next game no. so next on the list this one was fun splatoon yeah i've kind of been out of it for splatoon i've been from very splatoon out of it. for a long time i i haven't even i didn't even play it when i i mean yeah, I definitely haven't played it even when they had the Ninja Turtle Splatfest. You didn't do the Splatfest with Ninja Turtles? Did you do the Transformer one I, back when that I one was? I think the Ninja thing? Turtle one was over we at Comic-Con. It was, which is also coincidentally when the final Splatfest, which we'll get to in a bit, is at as well, or is happening as well. Or at least, it, well, they did two turtles at a time, and then like the last turtle was like, it was like three weeks. Of oh, yeah, yeah, because they were promoting the whole show, so they did like a long-term thing with Nickelodeon. Yeah, right? I think I did the Transformer one, but I want to say that was Platoon 1. It was, yeah. But yeah, it's it's been a while. Like I hadn't touched it. I knew about Clan Blitz, but I didn't even know how that worked. I didn't even know there was a, squi- a hammer item. Or the bubbles. I knew about the bubbles. I think. Well, the, I, I didn't realize the bubbles would be impactful as they were. Like, I... Both literally I know I got to use the bubbles. Yeah. yeah. But, um... 
it's it's interesting. yeah like I, I knew that game was really competitive but i hadn't really actually like thought that i really watched the matches like in the long in years, but dude but they were like it was cool to, I, to speak as the youth speak they were hype that was cool like that yeah. was it was it lit was, af fam. it was i think the fact that like i don't know i guess the the teams were just so good that there were so many times where it would just literally come down to the last like half second there was like the one, timer would be like on yeah. one and they would always clutch it out and pull it back or there was even one where like i thought they had lost because like we were looking at like the camera was focused on this one player oh, and then yeah, the timer yeah. now and like oh he didn't make it but then when the dust cleared oh they did win because there was another By character in the back. half a second into yeah overtime. and they had to like show it again and it was like wow it was and it even was so even bad. the announcers were saying like oh whoops wrong yeah, they heard, we showed you the wrong thing. They had already like, given we like, had it on the wrong side. Yeah, they had already given like, oh, it was a three yo. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Which, it by was... the way, can we talk about the announcers real quick in general? Not just platoon, but everyone. Like Jordan Kent. I mean, I know he's a professional that does actual college basketball. I think for Oregon or something. But dude's good. Yeah. He did. A, he was really good at like because there was one period where in Smash Bros they had him not do it. I guess he was on a break or something, and it felt like not quite as. Struck like it felt a little more like they're just chatting over a game versus talking about the game. But like, and this is when I really noticed how good Jordan Kent is at what he does and why I understand why Nintendo brings him back. Were, like, first of all, the- first of all, listen, if we can get him on the podcast just to give us puns or like to do an interview, I'm so for that because he just works them into every convert, like every you know, like. And that's the thing about Smash Bros. Like, it was so, so good at it. Smash Brothers, like Smash Bros. commentary happened by so fast that yeah. like as soon as someone starts to explain something, it's already gone. But he had a really good way of keeping no, no, yeah. it, of getting everyone no, to say yeah. it briefly. No, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and he was good at just like catching these things like on the fly without really losing a beat. Like there was one um where, um I think it's called Supergirl's Kells. Yeah. Um, who she, had really good deep insight. No, yeah, yeah, yeah that's like really good. Her, but she would tend to just like, I I, I guess it was because like maybe like explaining for the people that aren't aware. Yeah. But she was like about to talk about like this um the final smash like oh like um you're gonna see this move like. He has a final smash. He's about to use it, but yeah. like as she was still like mid that sentence, like everything just went by, and then she still had to like kind of finish her thought. And by the time she finished, or like, like when she was talking about Sonic, and she's like, "Oh, Sonic's gonna be really bad for this match," and as she's explaining why Sonic continued to like destroy and do really well, yeah, because yeah, generally speaking, she has studied the game, she knows the ins and outs, and she's right. Sonic in that situation probably would do bad because she has that knowledge. But the problem was he wasn't, and the the announcers well, were on their own little t- conversation. Yeah, the the Sonic player is that was Wraith, right? Wrath, Wrath. Yeah, Wraith. he's that was, was the Rolls Royce that was playing, right? Yeah. The Wraith. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, he's like one of the best Sonic players in the world. Which it's is not, why, which is why I think I think she was trying to explain Sonic's a weird choice. Yeah, Here's why, not, but she ignored the fact it, that it, he not, had it. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you know a character that well, and I think one of the other commenters pointed out that. He has played a bunch of Palatina, so at that point, like the matchup doesn't even matter. Yeah, and and to be fair to Supergirl Kells and all the other announcers, I'm not saying they're bad. They had a lot of oh, cool yeah, insight. They're... they were really good at explaining things because this was geared at a more casual audience. They were good at explaining what's what. It was just like, I guess Jordan Kent was the glue or something. Like I don't know, he but it was it. it was so good. He like, injected more humor into it, and everyone else was just like explaining. And he did a really, I mean, it was super, it was super obvious. But they had a really good system where, like, it was kind of it didn't always work. But they had a really good system where he would say the name of the person who's going to give the insight next, and then they would keep it brief, responding to him, and they do the next. Thing. Like he kind of structured it. But it's funny because, like, let's say you and I are talking, so you're telling me something, blah 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 blah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, n- not Angel. Tell me, and then he j- like he'd act as if the other person said it just to steer the conversation to them, so they could say something. But it came off as this weird like pretending someone else made the point thing. But it, no, it was, it was he was great. Like, and he had great puns. Um, 
and like some like Splatoon, I thought was a really good a, a game where that really worked because he was able. He, it was him. Uh, oh, what was her name? Andrea or something? And then Nine, who's a streamer and um, commentator for Splatoon in general. He's like the big one in the space. And they just... It was really good how they were like kind of balancing... You know, making it understandable for people who don't know versus people who do. Because the thing about Splatoon that I noticed is... For a Nintendo game, that thing is not like easy to understand. Like, yes, the core concept of you know shooting ink in places and getting turf that is easy to understand but they've layered on so many modes like you're talking about clan blitz and they layered on so many different ideas and like you know zones and rainmakers and tower control and this and the next thing and each individual one isn't too complicated but when you're switching between them on the fly and there's penalty times and things can shift and like a team went from losing on a or a team went from being behind to getting a penalty to coming back from the penalty and getting ahead in overtime and winning i think it was japan that did that like they were able to communicate how that was so impressive to people that yeah. maybe don't know the nitty gritty. Especially like me. when like, like for me, like I mean, they're doing a mode called tower control where they yeah. have to stand on top of a tower and the tower moves along a rail up yeah. to their goal. But for the longest time, some of the teams that just wouldn't go anywhere near the tower, they just like kind of surrounded over and over again. And then, I mean, watch like why is no one going to for the tower? That's like the objective, but they just wouldn't go to it. They would just keep everyone at bay. And then, luckily, like the commentators are explaining like why it's very important that they're doing that yeah. because they're like getting the position just right and sure enough like that's the reason why they ended up winning and you could tell that they were because like the, all the the so all the pros between players I feel like were there because it's, it's a smaller pool huh smaller pool because water because platoon yeah water killed them it's a smaller pool of players because it's nowhere near the scale of smash so I feel like a lot of the people that were playing were actually like some of the best in their respective space probably um, so it's kind of funny to watch yeah like, one of our friends um, who is definitely in the know oh yeah yeah of, he was with us of the platoon he he recognized a good number of those players. Yeah, like it was like a who's who. Yeah, versus Smash Brothers, where it's like one. I just recognized like Wrath. Yeah, but but what, what I was gonna say is like it's interesting because they had these pro players and they were catering to that audience because it is a smaller audience as well. But then they were also throwing in things like you know at one point Jordan Kent Larry's like the so-called meta, and then like kind of in passing explained what a meta was while explaining what the meta is in Splatoon. Like, little things like that. It's just like, oh. Or, like, at one point, I noticed that Nines was like, yeah, so we do these scrims. Oh, that's scrimmages. So, basically, when we do da-da-da. And then, like, continue. Like, it's smart of Nintendo to get people that are, like, defining the terms as they go or coaching them to do so. Because it really, it really made a difference. Like, it made it made Splatoon that much more enjoyable. Because, like, I didn't know all the ins and outs, as I was trying to say before. But, like, all I knew is it was... <laughs> Thanks for telling me I'm supposed to be excited during this part. Because well, not even just that, but, like, because no, no, they were I mean, explaining I'm it. Yeah, I know what you mean. But because they were explaining it, like, by the time the finals got around, like, I was super invested to have like what was it I didn't think the, the I would U- be that invested into Splatoon what yeah I didn't think I'd be that invested but to go from like because it was the US ahead 3-0 and then Japan came back and ended up winning 4-3 and on some level you're like oh I get it they're doing better but to know exactly the the tipping point moments in each match and learning that as you watch like it was you know if you go watch a baseball game a football game you don't necessarily know all the rules but you know the basics and these guys did a good job of basically catching you up so you could appreciate it the same way you could appreciate a sport you don't watch very much but still know the big moments. So props to them for that. I thought that was really cool and it really made it really enjoyable. I would say but it, like, if it wasn't for Mario Maker being something new and interesting, I think Splatoon was probably the biggest thing it showed because it was the most like exciting. And like the, they're definitely the most energy in the in the theater at the time. Oh, it had yeah. the biggest crowd somehow. Splatoon people go hard. Like It was the biggest crowd of the day. Um the first people online were in Splatoon hats and had Splatoon signs and stuff. Like it was Splatoon is not is a force to be reckoned with, which is unfortunate because well, it's unfortunate for them, I should say, because they're winding down Splatoon. The big announcement 
at the end of the Splatoon segment. They had an announcement at the end of each thing, you know, so Tezuka said Mario Maker's getting DLC of the levels, even though that's duh. And then Splatoon had something and Smash had something. Splatoon's was like, congratulations, you guys did awesome. Thank you for supporting our game. You're on the Sterling you're on the Sterling Squid, you guys. Third Japan, two years in a row. There's three names, more names to come. Our announcement to you, we're done. Splatoon's done. We're shutting it down. We're done with Splatfest. We're done with updates. It's just you on your own. The Good luck. The thing is that the way they presented it, <laughs> I could have sworn that they were going to say, like... They're going to extend it. Yeah, yeah. because they're like... In the beginning, we said that there were only going to be two years of content for a Splatfest. And there still is. And there is. <laughs> yeah, it's so so I was like, oh, it's like, oh, they're going to be one more year? They're like, so on June 29th, yeah. we're going to have... Or July, the, it's July 17th, but same day. Uh, July 17th, or 18th. 18th through 20th or whatever. Something gonna, like that. We're going to have the splat Splatocalypse. They're going to have the final Splatfest. The final Splatfest, and then followed by the final update. And like, oh, that's... And the final the update way. is literally just so you can do Splatfest without Splatfest. The, uh, to be honest, the 5.0 update is actually really cool if you're into Splatoon Yeah, getting all the shifty... 24 different yeah. unique stages have only been in Splatfest. I think that includes ones from Splatoon 1. It has to, right? 24? No, because that 24 is two one... years worth. They didn't do one a month. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was like sure one every two months, I thought. Maybe it is one a month. I'm pretty sure it was one a month. Well, either way, that's still a ton of stages, including the one that'll be for the final Splatfest. So it's actually 25, um, I think. Um, but yeah, they're giving you all those. You can play them in private uh, turf wars, meaning you can always just have a Splatfest. They'll have the night version, the day version. They're like basically everything that was like locked away behind these like limited time things will now be accessible to you whenever you want. It's free to get access yeah, to. And that. they'll just be part of the rotation. Yeah, which is which is cool. Um, but and also the final Splatfest theme, which we'll get to in a sec, is cool. But it is weird to. I, I know I kind of started saying this, but it is weird to be like, "Thanks for being such big fans." Our thank you to you is we're sticking to the plan to just stop support for the game. <laughs> but I mean, I, in their defense, I mean, it's been two years. Maybe in their defense, for it's been the next thing. Exactly, it's been two years. They're probably making a Splatoon three. I'm pretty sure the final Splatfest feeds into Splatoon. 3. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a choose your own. Like you guys decide which the fate is super of awesome. Three. So, so for those who didn't see the announcement or don't know what's going on, the final Splatfest, the Splatoka. What's Splatocalypse? Splatocalypse. Uh, we had so much trouble figuring out what that pun was. Like before we were recording, we were like trying to remember what it yeah, was. I was thinking Inkocalypse. It was like Inkapocalypse. It was like Inca-Cola. Platyp- and then somehow I got on Platypus. Like it sounds like Platypus, <laughs> doesn't it? Pla- yeah, because I was like Splatocalypse or Splatypus. Or- anyway, it's the... What is it? Splatocalypse. The Splatocalypse. So for the Splatocalypse, they're going to be doing a final Splatfest of choosing Chaos or Order. And the idea is, do you want the world of Splatoon to end up in some sort of orderly place, which is um, my feeling is it's going to be like a Soviet Russia situation. They get the better freebies. They do have cooler like cyborg looking helmets. Yeah. Or do you want it to be chaos and it's like total full on inkling Mad Max, which is kind of awesome. Like they have the Mohawk, they have the big like antenna things like on the back of the Mad Max cars. It looks pretty cool. Um, what I'm thinking, and I think everyone picked up on, I mean, you already sort of alluded to it. They're, I feel like they're basically saying what plot line should we do for Splatoon 3? Do you want the world of the Inklings to go completely off the rails and become total chaos and as kind of like a post-post-apocalypse since I think normal Splatoon is already after the apocalypse of humans or something like that? Or do you want it to be orderly? But I feel like orderly isn't just orderly. I feel like orderly is like, do you want it to go like Soviet Russia? Because if you look at the orderly, the order option on the uh, Splatfest, it's kind of like this dark gray on light gray. It's perfectly square. It's like a dark gray on light gray, and it just reminds me so much of like Soviet Eastern European block like um, 
architecture and colors and just like the style like everything's very orderly and lots of buildings are made like concrete and they're very square and very like utilitarian and not like uh not utilitarian that's not a word maybe it is and not um you know they were very just like this purpose of this building is to serve you with offices so we're just gonna make a square and it's just got little windows for the offices and that's it there's no flourishes there's nothing because like in soviet russia that's how it goes so i feel like you're basically choosing do you want crazy chaos mad max splatoon 3 or do you want like oppressed inklings fighting back to get their freedom splatoon 3 those are kind of two choices in my mind but and it is cool like i i really like the idea i mean this is what Mega Man legends 3 tried to do they made a kickstarter or they had people fund it and then they had people vote on how they wanted the game to unfold it got kind of a little too heady for its own good and ended up being canceled but you almost got a phone call but yeah, um almost but almost didn't. i mean it rang so you did but anyway um yeah so like I, it's kind of like a scaled back version of that which is which to me is cool and unique and interesting so i don't know it's I'm, I'm not sure how much further it will go than just like you pick whichever scenario they came up with maybe down the line they'll do other stuff with the player to kind of determine more things but at least at this level it's, it's cool as is i'd say so yeah, i agree yeah but yeah it, it will not change the fact that going thanks so much for coming to torment game's done now bye is kind of a weird a weird pairing but yeah it's, it should be good are you gonna partake in the Splatfest? I mean, it's uh, tricky. We're at Comic-Con when it happens. Yeah, I'll try. I know you could sign up beforehand. Maybe you get the freebies when you sign up. You do. The week, the week before, yeah. You get the shirt as soon as you pledge. And then that tells... Well, the shirt, but don't you... Want oh, no. I think it? some of the gear you get at... I don't know. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've done a spot fest. I don't think they've ever... They usually don't give out something like that. That's true. No, I think you get gear as a prize after sometimes, along with your... I don't know. It's been forever. See, this is why I'm saying I don't know enough about Splatoon. This is why I need the... the, the um, announcers to coach me through it as they did so well um but yeah that's platoon um so it is kind of i expected them to announce something involving the game ending but i thought would be that they're not ending it not that they are ending it anyway the third and final game is one that's near and dear to you but not in this format and that's super smash bros ultimate yes so what do you think of the format Um, because it's uh just to tell the people at home it was not a typical stock 1v1 no item situation until, it was three on three uh, until it, was it wasn't really. until it was yeah but it was more of a three on three irons were on it's smash weird... balls were on stages had some like shape to them they weren't all battlefield exactly yeah i mean they had a hazards off but they had stage morph also like pretty much it was definitely made to just look as interesting as possible which i don't blame them yeah i mean i feel like it makes sense for a casual tournament i feel like the average person might will definitely find that more exciting um I just found it. We'll find it more exciting than watching like two people play with no items. I feel like that is more interesting once you, you know, start getting used to the smash mechanics and you're already kind of in more right. to the competitive side. Right. And this way, I mean, it's definitely a lot more hype. I mean, who doesn't like someone getting like a smash ball and like landing the hit or whatever? And there were some moments that were. I mean, we were talking about them earlier. Like there are some key moments where you're like, yeah. wow, like Japan I mean, was but then the murdering but then the, la- the final. But then the dinos do like end up dictating the matches, but. Yeah, when they come out. Yeah. But, I mean, it was... For what it was, like, taking that... Like, I thought that was... I thought it was fun. It was fun. The only thing that really annoyed me in the beginning was the fact that Both everything was, like, timed. And on top of the fact, like, they didn't leave, like, a scoreboard for the spectators. Like, they screwed up. Okay, can we... Everything about... Let's back this up. Everything about the... the Well, not the quad. The seating was just very sloppy. So, they did... 
Yeah, so some tournaments we were talking about this during because I don't under I'm not as familiar with the real esport. What they didn't even disable pausing. I know I'm not as familiar with this in like the real esport sense, and I'm pretty sure some listeners aren't either. So okay, let's say you have Evo or something. Everything they did at the tournament today had seeding. I think it was Nintendo's attempt of going, "Hey, look, we're not like making pairings based on weird reasons. It's you're seeing why the pairs are what they are. It's based on skill." And we're being transparent, which is fine. But like, do other tournaments? Does Evo? Does Genesis? Do any of those do seating in front of the public like that? Or is it usually behind the scenes, and then they just sort of do the semifinals and finals? I mean, they have pools because I mean, in these tournaments, you usually get thousands of people, right? And the pools are essentially we're gonna weed everyone out so that we only have like the top eight people. So there are like say thirty-two pools, yeah, because there are thirty-two spots on the final tournament. So, like, the top 32 players or the top player from each pool will be the only one to move on and so on. Right. So that's how that works. Okay. And, and I guess in between that, based on your score, you get seated onto that 32-person bracket. They don't make those 32 play- players play each other in every single combination to determine where they're going to fall. And nor do they make them be six-minute time yeah. matches with no stock. So you really have no stakes in it because you don't know any context of who's doing well and who's yeah, not. Until the end where it's like, hey, look. That guy won. Eventually, they felt inconsequential, and they really were because, I mean, almost to the point where because Japan was doing so amazing towards the end, like literally yeah. three stocking someone to, like people back to back. Yeah, to the point where we thought like they were just gonna like sweep it, and they basically did. I mean, they lost the once. Well, but, so what was funny about Japan is but, so they yeah, but that's right, but go ahead. Yeah, but because they did so well in the end, and we said this felt inconsequential. Like they did terrible in the in the seedings, but. I, so against we the have team, a theory. And, and, and against the team, they completely annihilated, like literally annihilated. Yeah, no, we have a theory. So they, when they did the seeding, they so as Angel, as you're saying, so the seeding is everyone played everyone. So we saw the exact setup that was the final, which was Europe versus Japan. And Japan, like, they were coming in as the favorite, and they, like, basically just fell off a cliff. And even the commentators are like, what is going on in Japan? This is so upside down. But then they come in in the final, and they're suddenly destroying. So we have a theory. We, we As the, it was unfolding, our theory is that it was a long con. Like, they purposely did poorly in the beginning to get into the heads of Europe and then fake them out and totally come back and destroy, which is a gamble, if that's what it was. That's a gamble, and that's interesting. And that, in my opinion, makes having the seating visible to us worth it because we would not have appreciated – we were just like, oh, Japan's really good. We wouldn't have appreciated the whole like mind game angle of it. However, I don't think the seeding was done in an efficient or logical way. They had six-minute matches, like I said, with no stock, only time. So you couldn't actually see who what anyone was doing. There's no consequence. But they had to do that for every pairing. That means there were 48 minutes of seeding, which Nintendo didn't have proper graphics for. We didn't really understand how the seeding worked. The scores were un- like the scoring system was unclear. There's no indication of who's getting what points for what reason, who died when, who died yeah, how. Yeah, we had no idea whether they it didn't was show the like, results oh, screens you a get a point times. for winning. Oh, they're actually yeah. using the in-game scores. Except they're not. Except they well, are. Yeah. Except then they're doing math because they kept like the announcers kept referencing. Yeah, like, they didn't add up. They kept referencing like, oh yeah, they're breaking out the abacuses, and I'm like, for what? <laughs> and what's funny is like the the announcers, and again, non-knock against the announcers, they had really good insight, but they spent so long talking about like the deeper play the deeper meta if you will i guess that they kind of forgot to explain how the seating works at no point did they actually walk us through the seating they may have done it on the stream but i was reading along on a reset era's thread about it as well as twitter and a lot of people were just like what is happening so i feel like or like this doesn't make sense so like nintendo kind of botched that which is unfortunate because i do think having the seating there if it was a more efficient way 
is what made the Japan comeback and win moment so much more satisfying. So I think it was crucial to like the narrative of the tournament and it played, you know, it, it let that play up for the audience, I guess you could say. But I don't think it made sense to do it in that format or capacity. It's kind of my takeaway. Yeah. But I, I do think, though, that, like, once they got to the main tournament, I really liked the Squad Strike format. Yeah, that was really cool. It's a cool – like, how would you describe it? It's like a hybrid of, like, Stock Bows and – Marvel vs. Capcom. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I just love that you see someone use three different characters at once. It It's almost like a Pokemon battle. Well, back-to-back like, back in the same match, not at once. We should. Someone's going to be like, you could play three at one? No, 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 no. It's like one, two, three. I mean, that's still kind of how Marvel's Capcom is. You have to, but you can switch in between. In yeah, the you, yeah, you yeah. can't switch in between. But yeah, that, that's why it's more like Pokemon. Like, you have to pick... Yeah, it's like making a team. Yeah, you got to pick your starter, your middle, and your anchor. So and, that choice is very important, yeah. depending... Because you get to see who they pick beforehand, so you kind of have to anticipate, like, oh, who are they going to send out first? Because I definitely don't want this character to interact with this character. And not only that, or but, the least amount of possible. And then there's the whole mind games, kind of along the same line as what Japan was doing. There's the whole mind games of, are they sending out their best person first because they want to start strong? Or are they purposely going, like, worst to best of their three best so that they can end strong should they need to? Like, is, you know, if you get destroyed in one match by someone who used, let's say, Mario and Sonic... And then they had Link in the wings. If you're the next opponent after that, you don't know, is that Link, like, do I need to anticipate that Link being the guy I really need to fight if Mario and Sonic are easy for me to beat? Or is that Link, like, their last resort of the three and won't be a big deal for me either? Like, you have to kind of, like, think not just one character a character, but, like, the whole set. Which is a really interesting thing that normal Smash doesn't do because you just have your main and then you're done. So it's, like, a very different format. Very different. But, but it works really well. And, and then, like, obviously, like, Smash Balls and stuff came into play and save that what you will but I thought I made it kind of fun they, they had really cool lighting rigged in the uh, theater so when every time the final smash went off there's someone who I guess whole job was to just like press the button and like really watch cool it and press seeing... it but everything like the whole like theater lit up in different colors and in like white light whenever a smash happened I mean final also smash. the like Joker's final smash looked really really nice on the giant screen it did it's just a shame that he didn't win with it yeah oh yeah uh, he was like one hit away from actually winning with yeah, it so it would have been nice if that was like the killing blow because then it would have been cooler but you know it is what it is yeah, yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I think it's interesting though. Is I feel like Nintendo, you know, I was saying Splatoon had the biggest crowd, but just thinking about the format, I feel like Nintendo sort of is hurting them—not really hurting themselves, but they do have like they're kind of competing with their own audience a little, at least at a tournament like this, because the the crowd for Splatoon was the was bigger than the crowd for Smash, and the crowd for Smash kept shrinking as the seating made less and less sense. I would say the place was about half full for smash but it was like i don't know what like 85 90 percent full for splatoon yeah so it, it i wonder like on some level if nintendo's gonna start tweaking this in the future because the thing they announced at um the end of smash which is actually pretty cool is they're doing another online open like immediately like they did the north american open now they're doing an online open here in the u.s and canada i guess um and what happens is you get to play starting you get to sign up starting today you play later this month um you do it online and then the four best players will get airfare hotel and tickets to go to evo which is like you know the real competitive esport yeah, world of the smash the funny thing is that the rule set for this tournament is it's interesting like first have they actually published it in the time since like, it's already it? you can already oh is that what you're looking at okay yeah because it wasn't an out like when we came back from the tournament i checked before we started recording yeah, I literally just registered as we spoke oh cool because i was looking so at the, what is the rule i was set? looking at the rule so it's a lot in one day. So it's split up into regions, obviously. Yep. You're either in region one, two, three, or four. Same as the uh, the yeah. one we just went through. And yeah. 
you have to you essentially have to create a rule set that they give you mm-hmm. so that you just select that rule set and both players ideally select that rule set. Oh, you gotta choose a rule set? Oh, no, they give you a rule no, set. No, they give you a rule set to create. But there's cre- multiple rule sets? No, well, that's it. They give you a rule set to create Okay. so that when you go online, you select that rule mm-hmm. set so mm-hmm. that it sticks to those rules because, you know. Oh, that's how they match it. Yeah. Well, that's how they did it for the North American one in that regard. Yeah, so, but, yeah. you know, seven minutes, three stocks, which is fine. The first round of it, which is single elimination, is no items. Uh, no, no, it's low items. But it's only from... But you have to turn off all items except for, like, a select seven. There's only, like, seven specific items. It's, like, hmm. banana peel, Koopa shell... Is Smashball like one Smash of them? Smashball. Interesting. I don't know. It's interesting. Like, it's weird that it's not all items, but the fact so that it's more things controlled that... items... It's things that can affect how you play. It's things that can affect your, your core moves based on your character. Yeah, for and it's rem- things that literally trip you up. Yeah, for and I remember, <laughs> I don't think there was any Pokeballs or assist trophies or anything like completely random. It's like... So it's, it's all assisting. The, 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 the most random part is the fact that it just spawns away from you. So it's like, right. oh, they got that item. But I mean, at that point, it's how you use that item because it's really easy to dodge a Koopa Show versus a Rathalos coming So what happens trophy. when you get to Evo? So oh, wait, I assume Nintendo's well, doing well, their well, own so, bu- so, mini so bubble. So that's the first part. Uh-huh. And then after, I guess, a couple hours, because this whole thing is supposed to be done in two days. Yeah. Um, well, that's how they did it last time, too. Yeah. Very quick. Um, well, no, they had two rounds of it, the other one. They had two rounds of the online one. Too. Oh, that's true. You're right. Um, but also, they have a much smaller timetable, because Evo's in August, and they started. I know, yeah, that's like They started, the one we saw Evo's now. Evo's August 2, two through 5 or something. Yeah, like it's the start of August. The ones we saw, the, the tournament we just went to, the World Championship, um, it started in January with individual regionals in each region in each country that was participating or yeah. each uh i guess region so well, so yeah they had a much longer lead time yeah. is what i'm saying but, then but anyway I, yeah so then after i guess everyone gets limited until there are eight players left two per region uh-huh. um two people i guess you, you you just fight one other person in your region i guess and then whoever wins that match with no items at this point this time it's no item so it mm-hmm. more closely resembles the rule set at evo which finally makes sense because at no point in evo are there ever going to allow items no. so it kind of defeats it to have you fight with items to begin with but anyway yes yeah, so after you fight the four winners then get to fight at evo and just straight up participate at the evo tournament so you just get entry to compete with the rest of evo and could get complete, really and get, it's not in their own bubble within evo no and just interesting get, and just get completely wrecked by the pros but it's kind of like a cool opportunity if you want to yeah, see I mean, what that life was I like mean, yeah. they, they, they fly you out transportation and everything they get you four nights stay mm-hmm. at a hotel because the tournament does go from friday to sunday and they give you 50 bucks each day to spend so it's not bad so you know what's interesting so this format, and even if you lose they still give you access to go to the grand finals on sunday so you can still watch and enjoy that's kind of cool and it's interesting because like this format when I came back from PAX East because for those who maybe didn't catch that episode the uh, conventional wisdom episode back in March or April um, I was at the North American Open for this the thing that fed into what the world championship and my takeaway then was you know like is like oh why is the format like this it's weird and my takeaway then was it's because they're catering to a different subset of the Smash audience like the approach is specifically to go after in my mind the or this is what I was saying at the time the crowd that isn't at Evo isn't at like Genesis isn't at any of that stuff you know they're not going to anything that's grassroots they are people who like Smash play it in a more casual capacity and tell wants to kind of show them competitive play and give them a chance to shine that way what's funny is Bill Trennan did an interview with Kotaku like last week 
maybe two weeks ago, leading into the World Championship, and he basically was saying the same thing. This is the idea is for there to be everyday players that get to experience the competitive side. But uh, uh, what's funny is that like he went between what? But, yeah, because yeah. he went on to say that, uh, and this didn't occur to me before. Now, these more casual competitors can be feeders into the pro scene to get fresh blood into the pro circuit. In other words, Nintendo's sponsoring already a lot of these pro uh, circuits by throwing money their way. They do. Yeah. And now they're going, listen, we don't want to take over. We don't want to compete with you. But what we will do is we'll give you a bigger audience by doing our weird format over here. Kotaku described it greatly in the article as um, it's like your dad throwing you the birthday party he thinks you want. So like, oh, you like Smash? Oh, items. That's in Smash Bros, right? Okay, we'll turn on items. Oh, stage morphing? Oh, that's pretty cool, isn't it, <laughs> champ? We're going to put that in there, too. Like, that's kind of how Kotaku summed up what the difference between the tournaments is. It's pretty accurate. But basically, Nintendo's now saying, or Bill Trennan's saying, and this Evo announcement perfectly syncs up with this, which is funny because, you know, this was a week before, and we didn't know that's what it would lead to. But it's basically like, yeah, we're going to support you with money, and we're going to support you by growing the base of people who will later be interested in you. So yeah, this tournament today, this online open they're now doing, it's all stepping stones to get people to go Evo and or things like that. And not everyone will. It's going to be a subset. And not everyone that goes to Evo is going to do well. As you point out, they're probably going to get wrecked. But the idea is both on alcohol because it's Vegas and in the tournament. Am I right? But no, the... Uh, well, the, not everyone is over 21. That yeah, but the one... Well, true. Um, what do you mean, well? They could still do it anyway. They could... Listen, I have no... I'm not going anywhere with this. I mean, they uh, could, but they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. but... Listen, they don't card you at your hotel room mini fridge bar thing. So, uh, do they put liquor in the mini fridge bar? Usually? Yeah, yeah. In the little bar, in the little fridges in the room, yeah. There's always liquor, and it has motion sensors or like weight sensors. So, second, you pick it up, you're charged. Really? Yep. I mean, I don't know if water bottles. But nope. Yeah, they have alcohol in a lot. They have alcohol in a lot of them. Anyway, huh. it's a ripoff, which is why you never do it. But anyway, the point is, I wasn't saying they're gonna get out. They're gonna like kind of want to like. Try like someone it. just like lift up a bottle and then just like leak I, I mean some hotels don't have them but like some do um the point I'm getting at though is they they know <laughs> well, people, watch your fridge carefully the, the point I'm getting at is listen like when you lift things out of the fridge think about the cost later down the road no uh what I'm getting at is well that's deep it's yeah yeah seriously what I'm getting at is the idea that this tournament is a stepping stone that subset of people will take to Evo, and that subset of people that do okay at Evo will then join the pro circuit. And Nintendo's like two steps removed actually supporting the pro tournaments by doing this. Even though it seems totally backwards and not logical. Like, it doesn't seem like the. It's not the most direct way. It's kind of convoluted. Much like the rules of the tournament itself and the seating, it's very convoluted, but it is Nintendo's weird way of being able to funnel people into more professional esports should they wish to do do it while also presenting a competitive play format that's more inclusive as is their brand like the the inclusivity that these tournaments provide that Nintendo's doing is more like on brand than evo would be if they just threw people at evo or whatever so it's kind of like it's like it's a very clever little like mini step half step I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. And I had this thought like going into the tournament because I read this interview the other day. And then when they said Evo, I was immediately like, boom, there it is. There's the final finish. Probably like, we have the whole story arc now. So, yeah, I think it, I think it's very savvy. It's it's not traditional. It leads to bizarre tournaments. But if it works, if this pans out how Nintendo's saying it up to like if all the dominoes fall correctly, like it could be a pretty cool way for Nintendo to support esports going forward. 
So I don't know if there's anything else you want to say about Smash. Oh. Or the tournament, even. Or anything involving the, the um, the wherever we just were today. The thing that doesn't have a, a unified brand name. The Nintendo Mario Maker 2 Invitational 2019, Splatoon 2 Worldwide Championship 2019, and Super Mario Super Smash Bros. Ultimate Come for the plastic cups, stay for the tournament. Oh, yeah, that's true. We did get little... We got sippy cups. We basically got sippy Mario cups, and they're mm-hmm. great. Um, you know, actually, while we're on the topic of spectating Smash, there is um, one more thing I wanted to bring up before we completely separate ourselves from the news of the tournament. Actually, no, two things. One, we didn't get any news about Smash except the Evo thing. There was no DLC. The announcement was there will be an announcement on Tuesday for DLC. Which anyone in the right mind would have already seen. I feel like – so I get that, but my question is why does Nintendo continually squander the opportunity to have a huge audience reaction? Like time and time again, they're Especially like – when they have Sakura, they have everyone excited. They had Sakura on video. They had Doug Bowser doing his first well, appearance I mean, even as last, Nintendo even America year, president. They went, Sakura was present Yeah, everything. yeah. And then like, like like this year they had Doug Bowser in his official Doug Bowser, I'm president Nintendo role – Announcing things, they had soccer on video with a fake Smash Ball like prop, kind of making, kind of trolling about Smash, like fake surprises and stuff. Like, wh- why not just announce it today? I, you have the odd, the captive audience. You saw at the Game Awards, Nintendo. You were there, some of you at the company. You saw the freak out when Joker was announced. The place erupted. It was one of the biggest things at night. It was crazy. Don't you want to have that viral moment? Don't you want to have that? Like everyone, you pointed out, we were talking about this on the drive back. You pointed out everyone immediately when they cut to the video of Sakurai, everyone's phones are up. Everyone was recording to see like, oh, what's it going to be? What's the reaction going to be? And then it was nothing. And it's just like, why? Why? So there's two theories, both of which, both of which will be proven, proven false within 48 hours of this episode going live, but whatever. One is that it, they need filler for the Nintendo Direct on Tuesday morning. Which I hope isn't the case, but like if you you know if your director was bursting at the seams with news about all the games you have playable, so like Marvel Ultimate Alliance three and Zelda Link's Awakening and Pokemon Sword and Shield and uh, what's the four and Luigi's Mansion three and maybe Animal Crossing, which isn't playable but I'm sure is going to show up in some capacity. It's just not a game you can demo on a show floor. Like oh, you can talk to a villager like you always can, and now your ten minutes are up. Like it doesn't demo yeah, well. I feel like the most exciting thing to find out is like oh, what do the menus look like? Yeah, or like what's day? the gra- what's the hook this time? Yeah. Does the world spin? Are you in a city? Is it now? Like, <laughs> are we on the lawn? Yeah, like, what is going on? Um, so, yeah, I get – so that might show up. But, like, if you have that much content, you wouldn't put the info on the DLC there because it's you wouldn't have person. room. You would do it at the Smash event because you needed the extra space, you know, for in the direct so you do it somewhere else. So that so theory number one is maybe they don't have that much stuff and maybe this is going to be kind of a weird E3 as a result. Like, they have stuff but maybe not as many surprises as we're hoping. Theory number two – yeah, like I wouldn't even be surprised if we don't see Metroid Prime Four. Oh, at we're all. not seeing, yeah. dude. They just rebooted development like two months. I know ago. that's it. Yeah. No, we're not seeing it. At most, we'll see maybe I, Animal Crossing. I really hope they don't even try to show us anything. Like, don't even show us concept art. Like, oh, here is Metroid Prime. No, 4. no, 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 no. The the video they put out in February or March where they're like, "Hey, we're turning over a retro. We're rebooting it." Was them saying, "You're not going to hear about this for years," and we're telling you up front is because we're restarting. There's nothing. You know, so, we could give you a bad game, or we could give you. So, how will you feel if they still just show us something too? I'll just be like, that was unnecessary. Because they want to keep reminding us, or maybe their investors are breathing down their no, neck. No, no, Metroid's not even that big of a franchise for them. Their investors are not breathing down their neck over this. Um, then why even announce it to begin with? Because it was a fan service thing. They wanted to make Switch be the it platform for every single major game on Nintendo. Like, oh, you love Metroid Prime? Guess what? The fourth one's here. You love Zelda? Breath of the Wild's here. You love Mario? Odyssey's here. You love Pokemon? We got Let's Go and Sword and Shield. Like, they were trying to really drum it up. And now that Switch is doing well, 
I mean, their sales aren't as high as they want them to be, but they're doing well. Like, you know, I ran that spiel a couple episodes ago about how, like, don't underestimate the Switch. It's doing extremely well for what it is. Like, they don't necessarily need Metroid Prime. They don't even, frankly, need Animal Crossing this year. A ton of people are saying, like, oh, maybe it's delayed. Like, if it's not on the show, if it's not announced as a playable game, maybe it's not there. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But, like, honestly, Animal Crossing, Pokemon Sword and Shield, Zelda Link's Awakening, all in, like, five weeks? They could easily just do Animal Crossing in 2020 as one of the big 2020 games. Oh, and Luigi's Mansion. Did I say Luigi's Mansion already? Yeah. I did. Um, but they could easily do that in, in 2020 sometime. Make it a spring release, a summer release, even a fall release. Like, it's fine. There's enough stuff this fall. Because you also have, keep in mind, you know, in July, Fire Emblem. And then there's Astral Chain in August, which is a new IP that they seem to be pushing pretty hard. And then you have, um, you know, all sorts of smaller things that will probably be announced at the show that can be kind of the B tier for September and October. They'll be fine without Animal Crossing. So, yeah, I think Metroid was them trying to sort of, like, be like, we, it, you know, everyone is here. All the games are here. And now that it's not, I don't think they're going to keep constantly reminding people. It's still coming in, like, three years. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. But, yeah, my point was, one of two things could happen. Either uh, Smash is showing up on Tuesday because they don't have enough on Tuesday, or to fill, like, the 40 minutes, or there's a rumor Banjo Kazooie is going to be joining Smash. And maybe they tease it a bit at Microsoft's conference tomorrow, and the only way they could tease it at micro- tomorrow as of this recording today, as of when this goes live. Um, and let's say they do that. Again, this is all moot by the time most people listen to this, but let's say they do that, and then on Tuesday is like the full reveal with the tease on Sunday. You can't tease on Sunday with a full reveal on shortly thereafter if um, you sp- spill the beans on Saturday. So those are the two reasons I think we might not have the DLC. One's very good, one's very bad. So who knows? Mm. Who knows? But it was weird to not have anything. <laughs> But uh, besides Evo, I guess Evo is a thing. But uh, while we're on the topic of Smash, there's one other thing I want to bring up, um, specifically about spectating Smash. And that is that you can all do it from home now, kind of. Because uh, in a move I don't think anyone asked for necessarily, Smash Bros. Ultimate has gained Labo VR support as of its last update. Um, when do we get anything we asked for? At online friend play in Mario Maker 2. Is it that hard, Nintendo? You're really going to make me pull cardboard up to my face to watch computers battle in Smash, but you can't make online work? Okay. But no, that, that that's the thing about this Labo VR thing for Smash. It's really weird. It comes in two flavors. Um, one of which I feel like has sort of untapped potential, which is the spectating. So essentially, on roughly half the stages, like I was saying, you can watch computers duke it out. You are at a fixed vantage point. It kind of feels like your front row for the fight, which is kind of cool. And you can like look around, you know, tilt your head, and you can see different things. You can look up, down. Basically, it's like the pause menu with the free camera movement for photo you for screenshot the taking. Pause menu. Yes, literally, you are the pause menu, and nothing's paused. Like the bow keeps going, and that's kind of cool. But the limitation to me is that it's only for computer fights. Like at the very least, at least make it work with amiibo, like. FP fighter battles or something, you know the fighter, the custom fires you can like yeah, make it rank productive. up and stuff. Yeah, because it's like it'd be but kind at the very of. At least, I guess you could just pick stages you want to look at and just gone. But the like, why and... do you need the fight then? It doesn't make, like if and I would say do the amiibo thing because like it's a core reward if you do train up the amiibo. Like it's you get to see them in a way that you can't see other battles. So it's kind of like an extra incentive to do it. And I know people watch those. I mean, you and I, well, really you, just when I'm here. Uh, I see it, but you you used to do that thing where if we couldn't decide where to eat dinner, you'd have different amiibo that represent different restaurants fight, and we'd watch them fight, and then depending on what they land yeah, on, amiibo or who have wins, a new we go. Purpose now they um paperweight. No, in the last patch, they actually announced support for amiibos in arenas. Oh, that's right. So essentially, I got my the dog fighting I wanted, and to my I guess to my joy. Some people actually have been creating these arenas specifically for Amiibo. 
So it's like amiibo only arenas basically. Mm. So now I have more incentive to train my Bowser and just see how if he could just stay on the ring and not get kicked out. So it's finally it's like Pokemon training basically. Yeah. But it's kinda like why not have that support labo VR so you can watch it that way. So it really feels like you like change your Pokemon, you're watching it from the sidelines. Or like you know, maybe go one step further. Like I think what would have been really cool is if they did online fights with actual players yeah. in this mode. Like I mean They'd first of all, they'd have to f- spe- uh, fix spectate mode in general, because right now, isn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't ultimate just random matches? Like, while well, in past ones, they had betting systems, and you could pick which character you want to see fight, and you kind of just like there's always like filters and ways of doing it, right? It wasn't just like you just hit go and it just shows you random stuff that you don't have any control over, was That's it? How it is, yeah. No, in the old Smash. Not oh, yeah, in the old Smash. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I you, could have sworn you, they used you, to have more. You, you just custom... hit spec. You just hit spectate, and it just is what it is. I could have sworn. What it's was like, the betting it's, it's, system it's, then? There was a betting system. You just bet on who you think will win. Is that an ultimate? Um, no. See, bring that back. Have spectate mode thing. Just, make it. No, in no you just get a spectate. I mean, you could, I guess, on the app or on that other part, just like look up videos of matches of certain characters. Mm. But there's no guarantee that it's like you. You can't. This is what I, and I know I've brought this up in the past. Like yeah. I wish I. This had like Street Fighter Five does, where you can actually look up leaderboards, see who the top Bowser is, or I'll say like the top Ryu in the area is. Click on Ryu and then watch videos of that person playing. And this one is just like, all right, I'm gonna look up Bowser's, right? And it just gives me random videos. Yeah, oh, be, that's why I was thinking. It could be Bowser with items, yeah. or Bowser is doing silly stuff, but right. I can't do because top no, like yeah, because Nintendo do, doesn't yeah. have a leaderboard, so yeah. Yeah. I can't like follow good players. Well, let's say even like without the good player thing, like imagine if you could like go into spectate mode, bet on things, and then have like a pseudo front row seat in VR. That seems like a good use of this. But no, we just had computers, and and uh, to be fair, there's the other option, which is that you can actually play with it up to your face. So if you want to actually fight in VR, you can do one to three computer opponents in a single player time match only on only certain stages in VR. But it's not good. Don't do it. It's no, 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 no. Like the camera and head movement tracking is just like it gets in the way because it's still the fixed angle, but you're fighting, so it's just really disorienting. So that's not good. The spectating is kind of interesting, but it it does make me wonder like what's up with Labo at this point. Like where's Labo VR going next? Because like we talked recently about how the games, you know, the the game that's out now and the kit and everything seriously underperformed on the sales chart, at least here in the states. But it seems like Nintendo's still pretty gung ho about like potential long term success. I mean, obviously something like the Smash Bros. support, that was in development well before the sales numbers came in. But around the same time that the sales numbers started to roll in, we learned that like the Unity engine, an engine that's quite popular with indie games, that's now gonna include support for Labo VR in just the core engine. And third party companies are also starting to develop games for Labo VR or software I should say. Like the first example is an adaptation of a, a manga anime series called Spice and Wolf. It's going to be a VR version. It's coming to Oculus. It's coming to PlayStation VR. And weirdly enough, Spice Labo VR. Yeah. Spice and Wolf. Plus, um, I do know about that anime. But... Yeah, and they're making a VR one for Labo, weirdly. That's Plus, like, Nintendo's still announcing showcases of the tech. They're announcing partnerships in Japan. So it seems like they aren't just giving up on it, even with the slow start, which I guess is good because, like, I, I say this every time. Labo VR software itself is really cool. There's, like, so much customization and building tools. It's, it's a really neat thing. It's just now a question of whether they can turn the Labo VR ship around at all, and if so, how quickly. Because clearly it was going the wrong way. So is this enough to pivot it, or are we just going to see it all go to waste? And I'm, oh, my water ball almost knocked over. It did knock over. But that's how I'm so I'm so distressed about the future of Labo. I'm just smacking things. But no, like seriously, like it's, it's weird because 
it's not doing well, but they keep releasing things. So I'm curious what's going to happen next. And I don't have an answer. I'm just throwing it out there, just the question. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, I think that covers everything with the tournament and everything associated with the tournament, right? Like, it's a pretty busy day. We were tearing a long day. Tearing. But here's the thing. Here's what's crazy. Normally, it's like, oh, okay, so E3 is wherever all the big blowout will be. Not quite, because that was only part of what Nintendo's been up to these past two weeks. They also gave us not one, but two entirely different Pokemon news blowouts. And I think it's safe to say that both were pretty packed with surprises. Like, we're, we're going to go in reverse chronological order here. Um, but we thought it, we'd start with the one that's most relevant to E3, which is last week's Pokemon Direct. And that gave us um, 16 minutes of new interesting pokemon sword and shield details and i guess to start can i just say that like dude what a fake out the original sword and shield trailer was like yeah they showed us the gallery region they showed us the new starters they told us about you know how uh us americans have to deal with the name score bunny instead of the much better french name flambino which to i will take that to my grave that that's the better name but besides that, like I feel like I at least was very misled. Like the array, the way the original trailer was presented, I am surprised. Yeah, I. Sh- you were misled. You think? Because like, remember on this episode right after that trailer, I, I know you. These... I know you were very bummed out because you were like, "Oh man, they didn't show this, therefore the game doesn't have it." Yeah, and I was well, like, no, it wasn't even they didn't show it. It was well, like I mean, they the... showed the opposite. Like they showed. I know you, a I game know. that was very similar in concept and structure, which again, I know, and you were yeah. saying like, like, "Oh, they introduced these mechanics, like the roaming Pokemon." And they didn't show that. So yeah, or that. like, why is it so linear and stuck to the know, fixed camera I mean, angles? I mean, literally, they showed this for the whole game is like that. Yeah, or like, because normally, and, up to this point, that has and, been the case. And and my whole thing has always been, the first trailer never shows anything. Yeah, and no, and, you were spot on. And sure enough. You were spot on. Because yeah. like, I was even making things like, they, obviously they weren't showing it yet, but medieval looking Pokemon, or like British Pokemon, that'd be cool. I hope they do that. Like, you know, why does the camera look like this? Why why is it not open like Breath of the Wild? Blah, blah, blah. Like just and then, and yeah, and that's literally what you told me. And, um... I think the like they have now done all those things. I think the only thing that's missing, and who's who knows, maybe it'll still pop up. I'm clearly wrong about these things. Are Pokemon following you around like in Let's Go? But really, like all of the rest is here, and I was very pleasantly surprised by that. Um, so I think, given how wrong I was, it's only fair to turn to you first for Sword and Shield, because like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but none of the stuff I complain about matters to you in the grand scheme of things, right? Because you're just in it for the battles. No. Yeah. So no. with that said, like. Let's start there. Let's start with the sh- Sword and Shield Direct's battle information. Let's so talk about battles. What? Much, so they pretty much show nothing. Well, what do you think of the whole Dynamax system? Well, that, well that, that's, that's the thing. Like, Kind of like the first trailer, Like, we don't really know anything that matters to me until like way closer into the game. Actually, let, before like, we... Like, or like, go ahead. Like, like, all we know is like, okay, there are there's this Dynamax system, which seems to act a lot like a Mega Evolution kind of crossed with Z-moves, where... For yep. three turns, only three turns, your Pokemon goes super mega ginormous, and you, all your attacks have become max moves, and they have crazy effects. They're just a lot stronger. It's unclear whether your your stats besides attack also improve, but essentially, it sounds like it's a like a turbo button for like all right for two for three turns. I hopefully better kill as many things as possible, which is kind of what Mega Evolution was supposed to be. It's like you just kind of evolve temporarily to this tanky thing, but it's like once per turn. I mean, once per game, and only one Pokemon. But once this per one, battle. and once really? per battle, this one. That obviously didn't say anything. This is just speculation. But they did say it was once per battle, but because it's only three turns, and because it it appears to work on any Pokemon, this kind of you feels. You have like, to have a special 
in-game item to be able to trigger it. So just that, like Mega Evolution. Yeah, exactly. But just don't answer. It does kind of sound like um, this is their way of, I guess, giving everybody a Mega Evolution without giving everyone a Mega Evolution, because Mega Evolutions were kind of like ways to buff Pokemon that they felt needed more attention, or that they felt like they needed to be appear more in the competitive scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this way, I guess. Technically, any Pokemon can be viable now if you just trigger Dynamax on it, because then it's just going to be really strong and powerful. But, I don't know. i kind of hoping this doesn't replace Mega Evolutions, because the concept is just very similar. But then, that also just makes Pokemon Battles really nuts. Because I do hope Mega Evolutions and Z-Moves return, because I really love those mechanics. It was just interesting, because you always see your opponent's team before you start a battle, and you have to pick your order based on what you what info you get from their team and vice versa. Yeah. So you also have to consider, oh, they know who I'm sending out. Oh, they see I have a pincer in my team. It's common knowledge that if you have a pincer, they're obviously going to mega evolve. Yeah. So where do they think I'm going to put them? Oh, I have a Blastoise. Oh, or I guess you could even do it the other way. I have a Blastoise and a pincer. Oh, man, which one is the one that's going to mega evolve? Which one is the one that has the Z move? I have to kind of plan ahead for that. It- and now that you have the Dynamax system in place, if they're all active... The Dynamaxes could trigger at any point, and then it's like, oh, man, when are they going to activate their Dynamax replace... versus their Mega Evolution versus their Z-Move? Well, so I don't think Z-Move is any Mega Evolution kind of and then you And if you keep going further, if you have, um, I guess in the actual like double tournaments, you're actually able to use certain Pokemon like Groudon and Kyogre, which then you also have your Primal Revision forms, so yeah. then you have Mega Evolution Primal so Revision. So I don't think those are coming back. Ultra... So now Ultra Moon, I guess, also had Ultra Boost. I don't think any of that is just coming got back. Nuts. And, yeah. I don't think any... Well, first of all, I, did, I think you made an interesting point that they did go from this whole, like, you have to play sort of mind games with your opponent at the it's selection of Pokemon stage to now playing it in battle with, like, well, where are they going to go Dynamax? Do I need a Dynamax first? Maybe I should Dynamax. Like, it is kind of... That is an interesting switch from it being, like, premeditated to, like, in the spur of the moment in terms of strategy. Yeah, because now there's less, like... I mean, I guess... Over time, we'll see, like, all right, when you see, just see the team composition, I guess it almost just goes back to normal. It's like, oh, yeah, they, would, uh, they would either Dynamax here with this Pokemon because they're a good so one to I, Dynamax with, or yeah. I guess in a pinch, they're just going to use I it. I don't think the other is coming back. And you know why I don't think that? I feel like Game Freak, because if you think about it, so they have they Mega have Evolutions no, and they have Ultra Boost and they have no reason Primal. to bring back Mega Evolutions back for Sun and Moon. There was literally nothing in the story or anything that even, like, acknowledged it until you beat the game and they're like, oh, here are the Mega Stones. That's it, basically. Yeah, so here's my thinking. I feel like Game Freak... And, I don't, and Game Freak usually never likes to let go of any designs of Pokemon. And they have way too many Mega Evolutions. Here's my thinking. I feel like Game Freak has switched, or is about to switch, from expanding core mechanics to just overlaying the base battle system with new gimmicks. Like, don't get me wrong. Pokemon's always had gimmicks since day one. I mean, we have fashion shows. We have secret bases. We have all these things. Like, you name it, they have it. It's all weird. One game will have it. The next game won't. Then the next game will again in some other form. Like, Pokemon and me went through, like, five iterations that all are separate but kind of similar but also kind of gimmicky, which is kind of what, like, some of these things feel like. They're separate but kind of similar but kind of gimmicky. But up until, like, maybe Z-Moves and Mega Evolutions, I feel like anything they added, correct me if I'm wrong in your opinion, but anything they added to the core battle system always was, like, a key layer that stayed put. New types new effects team battles like not things like pokemon morphing pokemon tree just like very simple like there's a new part of the bat of the like rock paper scissors of types or there's a new i mean like this, structure to battles i mean this goes along with it it's just another thing but then but top. here's the thing then at some point 
it switched from being a thing that was on top and stayed that way no matter what. Like, it's not like, because you're saying, you know, Mega Evolutions didn't come back till after you got through the main story. But it's not like Team Battles were like, these aren't a thing until you beat the Elite Four. And then, hey, now they're a thing again. They were just there. They were just, like, part of the core experience at that point. And I feel like, I, I feel like they're now treating the battle gimmicks. And I don't know if this is going to, if Dynamax is replacing anything, my gut feeling is this, because I feel like they're starting to treat Battle Gimmicks how Mario and Zelda work. I hope they don't, but I'm pretty... like this is just you know like, what I mean, though? This is my gut feeling based on what they always seem to do. Yeah. Um, I'm, pr- I'm fairly confident that everything is going to make a return, because every time they have their big tournaments and stuff like that, the first year's tournament, the first like Pokemon National or Invitation or whatever they yeah. call it, they always limit it to the first 150 Pokemon, or the first, like, the core Pokemon of the game. So you can't, you're not even allowed to use Pokemon you transfer from any bank. And they also just limit it to just the core rule set. So when Sudden Moon came out, you could literally, you can't use any Mega Evolutions. You only had to use the Alolans, and that was it. So, so I think they're reaching the point so, where so, so you kind of go a year yeah. with only using the new mechanics, and then they're like, okay, now you can use everything else. So, so the previous year. So, so for one so like year, the law informs were the only thing you were allowed to use. Right, for, but then for they brought them back. Well, I mean, they were always available in game, but you couldn't use them competitively. I'm, I'm thinking they're gonna go further with that because, like, I'm to run with my Zelda Mario example, and the reason I'm thinking this is because, okay, let me back up. The reason I'm thinking this is because if you look at I mean, Dynamax, it's also completely different teams. I mean, than Mario what? Run. No, no, no. I'm not talking about Mario Run. Mario and Zelda. Think about here. Well, I, Mar- let me explain Fire, that analogy. Well, let me explain that analogy, and then I'll jump to my theory on Dynamax. Uh, so. Look at Mario and Zelda, right? Because, like, in Zelda, up until maybe Breath of the Wilds, you always had the same basic thing of you saw puzzles and dungeons. Done. So, Pokemon, they you have battles. Gyms. Done. What? They're literally reversing back No, no, back no, but well, hold on. Let me explain what I'm getting at. What they did in Zelda is they switched up what happens on top of that. So, this, they're always battles, and now they're gyms, and now they're not, and now there's none of that. But the, the, the core gameplay was always you do battles, and then, or in Zelda, you saw puzzles, and they're like, now you do it with a musical instrument. Now there's no musical instrument. Now there's time travel. Now there's no time travel. Now there's motion control. Now there's no motion control. Now there's time limits. Now there's no time limits. Or like, look at Mario. It's like, now there's a water pack. Now there's no water pack. Now there's a hat you throw. Now there's no hat you throw. Now there's gravity. Now there's not gravity. Like, it was like, they seem to, it seems like Pokemon could very easily slip into that pattern where it's like, now there's this thing. Cool. You And it sounds like competitive play already does this for the first year after. Cool. There's this new thing. That's what we're focusing on. Okay, we're done with that thing now. We're, now we're going back to the basics with a different new thing. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you look at Dynamax, at least on a surface level, it's a lazy mega evolution. It is. You literally described it as such. It's it's to me, it's what spirits are in Smash Bros. It is a quick means to an end to accomplish a thing that you don't have the resources to do because you're focusing elsewhere. In this case, they're focusing on the big open world. They're focusing on like the max raids. They're focusing on all this other yeah, stuff. They have more new Pokemon, so instead of exactly. designing more Mega Evolutions, they just made everyone exactly. Big. So they can easily drop they just, Mega. Evolu- they just click and dragged everybody up. Exactly. They literally use the resizer tool in, in Photoshop. So my thinking is they're at a point, and you're sort of backing this indirectly by saying they're already doing it in the competitive scene. But they're at the point where they're just like dropping features. So if they have a feature that's basically another feature but easier to scale up and include no, more Pokemon. I mean, why would they have both well, unless they do it as a post game no, thing but that's a whole nother story no, but that's it. they never completely drop them they like every single yeah. game always includes everything after the first like okay, major so tournament maybe, so maybe maybe they are still there like but... like don't do something new yeah make you only use that new thing but then right after that it's pretty much everything that you, they've introduced that, everything that they've introduced to that point you can use hmm. essentially saying like when Omega Ruby and Sapphire came out you can't use Charmander because you can't normally catch them. So, I mean, it's not like they're going to say you can never use Charmander in that game. 
like yeah. after that first tournament, then now you're allowed to use Hoenn. I mean, Johto Pokemon and stuff. It just comes with them. Yeah, but those are like slightly different than changing battle mechanics. I mean, at this point, like adding Pokemon to track. I guess adding po- Megas are, is no different than adding a Pokemon in a way. I mean, but this just seems so overlapping with that that it feels like they're really just gonna pull back I mean, on the others. Well, As you point out, well, they're going well, back to well, gyms that's... after not doing gyms. Well, I mean, but that's the thing, like. I feel like, I mean, they definitely needed to add something else. Yeah. I mean, there always needs to be another wrinkle. Well, they didn't need to do Dynamax. They could have kept the, like, the max raid system makes sense. That's Pokemon Go. That's a more no, gamer-centric well, Pokemon Go feature brought into the main game. Well, I mean, Dynamax, I mean, whatever it ended up being, like, they definitely needed to add, you always need to add a new battle mechanic. Because True. after, like, I guess, what is it, like, two or three years? Yeah. Like, four years? Yeah. That the games are out, like, people essentially settle into the meta and they figure everything out that there is to figure out. Like it essentially becomes. Like, that's why. That's why I need. think they could pull out Megas, leave Dynamax. No, that would just make it worse. Reasons. That would make it absolutely like way worse. Because but they lose one meta and then gain a new one to learn. I don't know. I feel like it's just going backwards at that point because, like Megas, like everything they add always just makes yeah. it more interesting. When you just keep adding on top of it, if you just like permanently get rid of one, then yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. That sucks. I feel like it would just make a lot of people unhappy for sure. But I just see it's too similar. I don't know. I mean, we'll find out. We'll find out. I mean, but it's it's I, similar, I, but I mean, I feel it's still different enough on its own because I mean, the Pokemon literally stays like that for the rest of the game. True. In Mega Evolution. True. And they also gain new abilities. So are Z moves still a thing in the newer games? Yeah. Okay. And I mean, they also like gain new types sometimes, which makes like right, right. Like I mean, then maybe they stick. Ampharos goes from an electric type Pokemon to an electric dragon with right. a new ability. So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, the attack I was going to throw out at it, it got completely nullified because it mega evolved during the turn I attacked. Dynamax, you would still be taking that move. So maybe the better way of looking at it from my angle then I mean, the only thing, is... the, I mean, the only reason I compared it to Mega Evolution is because it just seems like a a one-button press to buff up your attack. That's which, exactly what it is. Which is kind <laughs> of what Mega Evolution did, but for the most part, but there are also a handful of Pokemon that didn't get, like, attack boosts. Right. Like, they got, they just became more specialized in certain ways like there's mega Slowbro, who was more of a defensive became mm-hmm. like a huge mm-hmm. tank like a, just a wall that you couldn't really budge so maybe maybe the better way of looking at it to go back to the mario, mario analogy is you know how like mario games they introduce stuff and then there's the whole like you beat the game not odyssey the other ones you beat the game here's like way more challenging stuff that's also kind of throwbacky to normal mario things maybe it's like that here's the main thing in the main game you beat it good job Here's everything else you remember, well, which is what you were saying. Yeah, that's literally what I said. Yeah, no, no, but I'm saying like maybe that that's exactly what they're gonna like do. I'm pretty, like maybe Dynamax will fall to the wayside once you yeah. beat the main game, and then well, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's that's what I mean. That's what I yeah. thought was gonna happen. Coming around to your point is what I'm saying. Yeah, after the first year, I mean, and that literally yeah. only applies to the tournaments. Like once you beat the game, you'll get to unlock everything, and it's pretty much just normal. Yeah. You get uh, to you learn the Dynamax mechanic as you're playing, and then you get to play with all the other toys. It's still though, regardless of like how the mechanics Hopefully. work out. I mean, that's it's still such an obvious Smash Bros. Spirit type of move, where it's like, hey, it's a quick, easy way to scale. Yeah, I mean, they're adding more Pokemon, and I guess. Yeah, no, it makes sense. They're definitely and the wild area is no and joke. They have to add that many more anim- animations, and I mean, they're definitely spreading themselves very, very thin. The more yeah. of these they make, I mean, and that brings us to the wild area again, because like. That's a very big focus of Sword and Shield, and naturally, the development resources that Game Freak has. And, um, you know, uh, it's like I was saying at the top of all this, it is the direction I wanted to see him go in to kind of reinvent it in a Breath of the Wild sort of way. Um, unless you have more thoughts on the battle system. No. But, yeah, so it, it's like, I mean, maybe, 
maybe Sword and Shield didn't need to go as far as doing the exact same like camera zooming up from behind your character as they and then pans out to show a whole open world that literally that's shot for shot what Breath of the Wild did but like yeah it, it works it gets the point across I see it you have an open world like I was hoping for um Although, you know, it's kind of funny is I was like, I watched the footage a couple times and I was like, this doesn't feel like Breath of the Wild. Why does this not feel like Breath of the Wild? And I realized, if anything, it actually reminds me more of Ocarina of Time because, and I think I think I was able to pin down two things. It's because, one, the overall art style and geometry of Sword and Shield just feels that much more simplistic, kind of like Ocarina did. And uh, perhaps the bigger one is that Breath of the Wild really emphasized verticality, while the wild area inside Pokemon Sword and Shield, much like all the areas of Hyrule and Ocarina of Time, it's much flatter, just has kind of small rolling hills and that sort of stuff. So it just, it definitely had like an Ocarina overworld feel to me, but um, I digress. The The important thing isn't which Zelda it reminds me of. It's what it means within the bubble of Pokemon. And to me at least, it's it feels kind of like, it's kind of like an evolution that's sort of setting up for an eventual revolution, perhaps. Because on, on the one hand, this is just a souped-up safari zone, if you think about it. Like, ever since the original Game Boy games, you had this spot where you could just go and explore an open little range of space, and it's full of random Pokemon, and you get them, and that's it. And now they just took it one step further and made it such a big open space that connects multiple cities and takes on a good chunk of the map. And... It almost looks like Xenoblade. Yeah, it has a Xenoblade-esque quality, but it's it's like if, if, it's like if someone's like, can you apply a Xenoblade-like mindset to the safari zone? And, and this is what you end up in. And then at the same time, what's kind of interesting is they still have some of the other regular structure elsewhere in the game. So the routes, the random encounters. So it's like you got this supersized safari zone more than a complete overhaul of everything because they still have the old fallbacks as well. But at the same time, like all the building blocks seem like they're there for them to go all in on this new open idea if it's well received. Like it has the free camera movement, it has weather effects that change which Pokemon show up, there's roaming Pokemon, there's different terrains. Like assuming it plays well which we'll hopefully report back on next episode once we get to try it at E3. But assuming it plays well, I don't see why the next Pokemon game wouldn't go further in this direction. Like, the eventual revolution I mentioned before, like, that seems like the next step. Like, this is like a half step in that direction, and then it could just go all in. And I'm kind of curious to see, like, just how far, even within the context of Sword and Shield, it'll actually go. Because there's, you know, there's already so many questions the Wild Area raises. Like, uh... You know, they were saying it can connect multiple towns, right? So does that mean you're not stuck in the usual linearity of town progression in this Pokemon game? Does that mean, like, the story isn't quite as linear? Or, like, you have, maybe you have to go to certain towns to trigger stories. What if you go to a different town first? Does that somehow, can the story unfold in multiple branching ways as a result? Like, you know, if, if not, how do they plan to gradually open up the world? Because in old Pokemon, it's very easy, like, you just go from Route 1 to 2 to 3 to 4, etc., etc. But, like, if you have free reign in the wild area for at least, like, a third to half of the map of the game how how are they going to open it up is it going to be like invisible walls like are they going to have a logical barrier it, I'm, I'm really curious to see it and not only that but like what what would that mean for the other you know what does what does the success of this mean for the other big new thing within the wild area which is the max raid battles because this too in my mind is a good evolution with a potential for like a revolution because in the same way that like let's go took the core casual friendly mechanics of Pokemon Go's catching Sword and Shield is kind of taking the more intense aspect of Go, which are the raids, and flushing them out to a much bigger thing inside Sword and Shield, which is kind of interesting. Like, in fact, the 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 way they emphasized it, um, you know, the way they emphasized that worked. It's local play. Yeah, you could take your Switch and just go on a raid together. It's like, oh, it really sounds like Nintendo's like, hey, are you doing raids in Pokemon Go? Bring your Switch along, and then you guys can also do a max raid in 
sword and shield like they go hand in hand i mean obviously it you know it has online too but should this prove to be popular i'm just curious like is this saying up for something much bigger in future games like right now how it works is this you're in the wild area you and up to three others can work together to take down a dynamax pokemon that stays dynamax the entire time if you succeed then you get the chance to catch it with a special giant pokeball so basically it is the pokemon go raid concept just inside the in-game world and it's both online and off. So imagine if a future Pokemon game lets you form raid parties to traverse the entire game. That seems like the next logical step. We're kind of going into Monster Hunter territory, but like, would that be something Pokemon does? Is that something we want it to do? Like, would it be a cool enhancement that could have its roots in this concept in Sword and Shield? Or is it like, you know, it kind of depends on how players feel. And like, I mean, would you want something like that? I don't even know if I would want something like that. Like, I don't know if I want the whole game to be like a raiding party, but it I seems mean, like this opens the if door. If these Pokemon have like say 50% to 70% of their IVs perfect then I'd be down for that because but if the whole game was structured around I mean that? I mean every game seems to make the making your pokemon competitive easier and easier yeah to the they understand there's a yeah, there's to, the use of the world and there's the me's of the world to, yeah, and they get to, it. to the point where like it went from I felt like the game actively encouraged you to cheat because or to use like hacking devices because it just went out of its way just to make it a pain in the ass even though yep. like you know it's something that shouldn't take that long if you know how to make a good team but then as time went on now I'm in the completely opposite end where I feel it's I don't know it just feels really good just to be able to you know read your Pokemon which is funny because you were up. so passionate about not I know I wrote an article you wrote an it. article about on the site years ago keep in mind this is like Diamond, this is Diamond and Pearl generation. Yeah, this. I mean, I could find one. Of the Actually, no. Written. Yeah, it's it's like somewhere between that and. So you did a complete one eighty on that entire concept. Oh yeah, no, uh, I think this was X and Y. No, yeah, yeah, yeah it had I, to be X and Y. We yeah, didn't I, exist in the Diamond and Pearl. No, yeah, I, I, since one eighty completely, like right before Sun and Moon, probably around um, Omega Ruby and Sapphire. Because you're just fed up with not being able to just battle. Well, you know, it was Sun and Moon that completely turned around because they created so many in-game mechanics that by the time like. When the game came out, it's like, oh, okay, cool. I have all these perfect dittos and whatever that I'm going to use to make the perfect Pokemon. Hey, question. Was your article for or against? Because I just found your article, How Hacking Keeps Pokemon Competitive. So I think you actually wrote this as you changed your mind, not no. before you changed your mind. And that hacking is good. Right. How po- how hacking keeps Pokemon competitive. Yeah. Okay. Now I am. Um, you shouldn't hack whatsoever. Oh, oh, oh. So you did flip. Sorry, I got back. Yeah. yeah. You wrote this, if you're wondering, uh, May 13th, 2014. Folks, you can go read it at ramtown.com. Look for extra how hacking keeps Pokemon competitive to hear his now opposite opinion yeah I mean I feel it's true for the time because obviously it was written at the time and I love my analogy where it's like you have a chess piece where the chess pieces do exactly what they normally do but in the tournament they ask you to carve your own chess pieces from you know from wood and whatever like yeah. by hand and it takes forever even though I'm sorry what chess tournament requires you to carve no, that's, your own no that's why like it shouldn't like, oh no you're saying if they did okay yeah okay. it's like why can't I just use like the chess piece I already know works right but, yeah mm-hmm. but anyway interesting yeah but like since they made it super easy to beat these Pokemon now it's like you know it makes it just now it's just another rewarding layer on top of that right and I'm hoping Dynamax Pokemon in the sense like or at least the raid ones or I guess if you find them in the wild like just make that process even easier because usually it takes a while to get a perfect like a strong Pokemon and then you take that one and you breed it to make another strong Pokemon then you breed it to parents and blah 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 it just keeps yeah. going until you get the perfect ones right and if these mega raid ones pretty much expedite that to make it like oh there's a well, all there's been... a Weavile raid that'd be awesome cool I could just 
catch that one, and then I'm pretty much good on Weavile. I, I guess my thinking is, what if it goes one step further? What if what if just the bigger Pokemon you can only catch in these raid scenarios? Not necessarily Megas with big. Well, no, because then you're well, I guess you're still on board with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the whole idea would be to catch these powerful Pokemon and then breed them. Because assuming right. they keep going with this trend, you use the item called the Destiny Knot, which transfers all their stats to the next Pokemon, so you could breed the correct. So you're all for if they move towards a, a Monster Hunter style system for a lot of Pokemon. Yeah, because it expedites. Because if if the stats are what I assume they would be, yeah. or what I hope they would be, it's like because I don't actually have. Because to me, just a means to an end up. Yeah. Right, right. I actually have an opinion on what direction I want Pokemon going, but I do feel like this opens the door to doing that. Like something as simple as feature as porting over a feature from Pokemon Go, becoming something that like is a catalyst of change in the entire game in a major, major way with the raids, which are only possible with the wild area, which is only possible with the open world, which is all ha- kind of happening at once in like a test case right now. Like I'm really curious if they go further because you don't build a free moving camera and this entire idea to have it be a one and done in half of a Pokemon game. Like there this is this is a test bed, so I'd be I'd be curious um where it goes. But yeah, I don't know if I'd actually want it. Like I think I think the Max idea is cool. I think I think the Dynamax I you know, I keep wanting to say Duramax. Duramax is a Chevy truck engine. Dynamax is a giant <laughs> Pokemon. I keep wanting to call them Duramax Pokemon. But anyway, I I think yeah it they're all kind of self- relying on each other. That's one thing that's really interesting. Is like, I don't know. This is a very chicken and the egg thing. I don't know what came first. Did like, did, did like the, the giant Pokemon come first? Did the raids come first, which are made of giant Pokemon? Did the open world lead to the raids lead to the giant Pokemon? Like there's, it's such a weird triangle. And it's funny because it's not just like the Pokemon them, or the gameplay themselves that are making me think this. It's also like, I'm really curious how they settled on Britain. Cause like, running out of places. Well, no, because think about it. like if you look at some of Have the been to Australia, are all the Pokemon going to be super scary there? They're not all scary animals in Australia. I petted a Bino yeah. kangaroo. He was very friendly, and I hugged I hugged a koala, and he was very friendly. They're also scary. I know. Well, these weren't, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I am kind of curious. Like, what? How did they sell on Britain? Because here, here's another thing you have to think about. So they have giant Pokemon, right? Which are somewhat maybe inspired by open world or maybe it's inspired by rage which inspired the open world like i don't know the order but then they have stadiums as you point out gyms are back and stadiums the idea of these big massive stadiums and sports being a huge thing like that's a very european thing like the the, the stadiums are modeled after soccer stadiums so they had to have the idea of oh we're gonna do these giant pokemon we're gonna do it in britain because britain loves football and we're gonna do it there and it's gonna be like these massive stands that the pokemon can't be contained in normal gym and so they'll be in stamps and then all our characters will look kind of like these british like hy- hybrid of like a uh, hype beast and like an old school British royalty. Like we'll give him like high pants and a snapback and like the snapback with a crown on it. But we're also gonna give him a royal looking cape. Except because we're now in football country, we're gonna put logos on the back of the cape like it's a sponsored jersey that says Herbalife or something. Like this is brilliant. Like how did all that fall into place? What led to what led to what? Because usually it's pretty clear. Like we're gonna do Hawaii. Let's make the Pokemon tropical. Or like we're gonna do France. Let's make everything look kind of European. But all the gameplay systems are so dependent on each other this time. It's really interesting. I'm curious. I'm curious, like how they pitched this or how they reached this or like what sort of brainstorming session that was. But we'll never know. It's funny they ever released like little documentaries with directors. Right. That, well, Game Freak's starting to do that. They're doing like behind the scenes retro- retrospectives, but they're all in Japanese and stuff. Oh. But uh, that does bring us to the very last piece of the Pokemon Sword and Shield Direct, which is the Pokemon. They are doing some that look kind of like medieval and British, like. Scotland has a lot of sheep, so obviously new internet drawing favorite, Wooloo, is a logical fit. And then, you know, there's, like, 
Corviknight which ha- and Dreadnought, which look like they have armor to some extent. You know, Dreadnought, if they made him shiny, could totally be like a Bowser doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's the, the, the legendary... There's a rumor, actually, of an electric-type Corgi coming down the pipe, which could be cool. There's um, an already... You know, the already confirmed camp of legendaries, the one with the sword, the one with the shield. So, I, I don't know. Any particular favorites you have? Not yet. Yeah, I think... Yeah. I think I, I, I don't understand the obsession with Wulu. No I, offense I to those I, who I love her. Him. It. I mean, all the Pokemon that I think they're fine, like, I like yeah. them enough. They're, 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 I'm glad it's not... I, you're going to hate me for bringing this up. I'm glad it's not a keychain or a refrigerator or an ice cream cone. I'm glad they're, like, doing real-looking creatures. Yeah, but, the average person would say that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I think that's... um. Yeah, I think that's I think that's it for Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, and, and that's basically what's in store for the immediate future of Pokemon. Like, the two versions, Sword and Shield, they're out November 15th. Uh, if you want, you can get them both there's a double pack available for pre-order now i don't understand people who do that but more power to you if you want to spend 115 bucks um but what's funny is pokemon company didn't because not everyone has friends that they could trade with or they could get all but the you pokemon. can do it online now it's fine yeah but i guess online is unpredictable and you do true. get hacked pokemon online a lot that's true fair enough but the um this so okay double pack i get pokemon sword and shield we're done with but what's funny is pokemon company didn't just stop there oh no in what may seem counterintuitive in a chronological sense, the week prior to the Sword and Shield Direct, they held a separate press, press conference to discuss what they'll be up to after Sword and Shield. Because, you know, that, that makes sense. First you announce the thing that's further out, then you announce the thing that's closer in, right? But, uh... Actually, now that I think about it, they teased, they straight up teased Sword and, Sword and Shield's uh, Dynamax system in the press conference. Did they? Yeah, like at one point they had the CEO of Toho on stage, right? Because Toho, they handled the distribution of Detective Pikachu in Japan. And he went on a brief tangent about the new Godzilla movie coming out, which they also did make. And it was kind of like, please go see it. And it's weird-ish. But then uh, Ishihara, you know, the um, CEO of Pokemon Company, he made a crack about how nice it was for the Toho guy to insert a bit of news completely unrelated to Pokemon. Except it wasn't because he's talking about giant monsters and then literally seven days later, Pokemon's like, guess what we have now? Giant monsters. So it's like a weird little, like, if you look back at it, it's like, oh, that was sort of a hint, maybe? Not really a hint, but just kind of a little fun with it for the fans to notice retroactively, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, that that's just really the tip of the, like, bizarreness iceberg that was this conference. And yes, that's a, toy I, a term I've just coined. Um, the conference as a whole was very much just, in my opinion... It was very much just the Pokemon company declaring, this is what the future of Pokemon will look like, without actually showing much of the future of Pokemon. Like, we we saw stock photos, we saw logos, we saw some very nice pictures of the Pokemon shirts, which, by the way, that may have been the single coolest thing out of the conference. The Pokemon shirts look great. Like, aren't they nice? Yep. Are you, um... Are you, you, didn't you or were you did you order some from Japan? Or are you waiting till they come to America now officially? No, we we ordered some a long time ago. When well, did they get here? Because these, these shirts have been, I guess, a thing for, I want to say, a couple months at least, like towards the end of last year. Yeah, and I mean, you you could have. And the funny thing is that that site has a full English version that lets you pretty much go through the entire process. Now they're just going until make it cheaper, un- until you get to the last page where it says. If you live in the U.S., we do not shit there, but stay tuned for an announcement. So, like, we knew they were really coming for a while. But they're really cool. You could fully design everything, and you could have... And you could pick designs from all 151 Pokemon. That's, that's so cool. And you and could you pick could, long sleeve, short sleeve, Yeah, you could pockets. pick... You could pick um, button-down shirts, um, casual shirts, and you could... You could change, like, the, the inner cuff. The inner cuff. You could change the inner neck, the... I guess the button part in the middle, the... 
Yeah, everything is customizable, which is crazy. And they look so stylish. I, like, I like, I mean, I a, a I like my subtle video game shirts, more, and they're very subtle at times. There are more winners than questionable ones, yeah. for sure. There are some that are like, this is a little too much. I mean, it's hard because it's 150 different Pokemon you have to make shirts for. Like, they had to come up with no. 150 designs. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, a lot of the designs are just, like, really good. Some of them yeah. could have just been like, oh, just do this, but with this oh, Pokemon. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's my, yeah. But then some of them are, like, trying to do this other thing that, I'm, I don't know. Well, it, that's it, my point. You have, you have 150 stuff. ideas, they're not all going to be winners. Yeah, but they're also yeah. all made by different people, too. Right, right. No, but yeah. I mean, like, even then, no, you're yeah. commissioning 150 ideas. They can't all be equally good winners, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it is cool. It's a really great thing. But but that's not that's not the real story from the conference. Uh, sadly, the designs were just, like, a... A secondary thing. I think the real story was the incredibly odd Pokemon Sleep. Um, now, odd odd doesn't necessarily mean bad, but that's only because they they didn't say anything. We have literally no idea what to make of it. Like, here's all we actually know about it. I it guess I'm just turn... glad I waited on getting the Pokeball Plus. So I could get the yeah, because you get the plus plus, plus, plus. Yeah. the plus plus. I mean, that looks easier to carry around, and it seems to serve as many different By the way, things. which the, the name Pokemon Go Plus Plus is just another example of how bad Nintendo is at naming things. Like, I mean, I get it. It's a Pokemon Go Plus, plus it tracks sleep. But there's got to be a better name. But it's got to be a better way to convert it. Or like the Pokemon Plus, like the Pokemon, the Pokemon Sleep Mask. That's not a mask. Yeah, yeah, they could call it like the Pokemon Go and and Sleep, Sleep and Go, Sleep and... Like, there's so many things they could have done. But what is... Pokeball Dynamax, yeah. Yeah, the, the the Duramax Pokeball for your Chevy truck. No, but uh, what they what we know is they have this device, and it will sync up with your phone through Bluetooth, and it will transfer information on your sleep time, your wake time, and your general sleep patterns by using an accelerometer in the device. So it's everything the Pokemon Go Plus does, plus an accelerometer in this little Pokeball disc shaped thing, and and that's all we know. They're gamifying sleep somehow. Sleep time, wake up time, all that will have gameplay elements and reward you for how much you sleep and how well you sleep. And I, I don't know what to think of this. What, I, what do you think of this? Like, what could this even be? Like, how do you turn this into a game? I know Sony had Wake Up Club at one point on it's, PlayStation, but like, it's pretty, what is, it's pretty easy. Um, what are you thinking? So, like, my Withings Watch pretty much already does this just without a game. Okay, yeah. But it, they essentially give you a score every day for your sleep. Um, the closer you get to eight hours of sleep versus how much time you're in deep sleep versus light sleep versus you know like how many REM cycles but like how's that become a game well that's the thing because the whole point is like to give yourself enough time to sleep it's discouraging staying up late and waking up late so when but how's that turn into a game (laughs) you're saying everything that's just I continue I feel like you're going somewhere because I cut you off yeah I mean it's pretty much just it's turning. It's gamifying the habit. It's a, you just, you're probably just gonna want to get good scores to, which will somehow like I guess translate to, I guess Pokemon points out. I guess will either power the Pokemon or something like that. I guess what I mean is like, Pokemon Go. They didn't exactly gamify walking. They made walking a part of a game. There's a difference between gamifying something and using something in a broader game. And it sounds like, and I think you're right. It sounds like with this. They're gamifying something, not making. Something I mean, otherwise, part of otherwise a game. they would have just incorporated it into Pokemon Go. Well, it's a different dev team. I know, completely. I know. Yeah, that's what but... I'm saying. Like, ideally, it would just be a part of Pokemon Go. So it's like, oh, cool, you get points for, you get beneficial points. Maybe you get some coins, or you get some items for, or more rare items for, actually having proper, like proper rest. 
But that's just like that's just like a badge system. That's not a game. Well, I mean, yeah. I know it's it's I mean, weird. That's the thing. Like to me, you know, there, there isn't much. There isn't much you could do for sleeping. I know, I and that's why. That's why to me, this whole thing screams like like this thing screams that the Pokemon Company wants to. I don't make think it's a good idea. I'm saying that's. Oh no, I know. I'm not. I'm not saying you're. Uh, it's a bad idea. I'm just saying I don't think it's. I think the Pokemon Company was starting to say is I think I, they want to make Lightning Strike twice, and I think they think this is the way. Like they found huge success with Pokemon Go and how they integrated walking into a full fledged game. And now they seem to think it's a mission of theirs to find other ways Pokemon can like enhance and make fun routine parts of your life that can be healthier, that can lead to better health. Which, I, which is you know that's noble. Like it's very much what Apple's doing with the Apple Watch these days. I mean, like sleep is definitely a category that a lot of people. Yeah, no, like, totally. And sleep. and it's 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 the exact that s- Apple Watch can't even really touch right now. Because, right, right. And I just mean yeah. no, but I mean like it's a sad idea. Like Apple has turned the Apple Watch from being like this all-in-one device to really a health-focused device. Like they just announced with WatchOS six in the fall. It'll have a noise tracker and alert you to loud noises so you can have good ear and hearing health, which is a nice thing. And it seems like Pokemon's kind of doing this entire idea as well with the brand of Pokemon, except they're doing it with, like, Pikachus and Bulbasaurs and not just, like, alerts on your wrist. So, whatever. But, and you know, I don't fault I don't fault them for that. Like, I don't fault Pokemon for trying to do this. Like, Pokemon Go gave the company a taste of what massive fiscal year profits can look like, and now they want to keep doing that like if if you look at pokemon company before pokemon go they were bringing in like 10 to 18 million dollars per year depending on which year it was then go hit and it jumped to 143 million dollars that is a factor of 10 in the second year of go it crept back down to a still decent 80 million like still respectable but then it was just announced that this past third year that go was out revenue climbed back up by 50 percent to 124 million and that's in part due to Go, but it's also thanks to renewed interest around the brand that Go contributed to. Like, it's no coincidence we have Go, Let's Go, Sword and Shield, more merch than ever, a Detective Pikachu movie, other mobile games. You know, it's no coincidence all this is happening at once. And it's all rolling out together like this is definitely strategy. And I think they just want to keep that money train going. It's why they spent, you know, a huge chunk of money on um, teaming up, or I assume they spent a huge chunk of money because it's not cheap to team up with NetEase in China. Like, they're bringing Pokemon Quest to China. It's the first Pokemon release in a huge untapped market. And they're having NetEase, which is one of the com- com- uh, country's biggest mobile game companies. They're having them be the ones to localize it and distribute it. And I'd say that that mindset, this like, oh, we, we like this newer money we're making. I think that's the driving force of why Pokemon Sleep exists. And I don't know. Maybe they have a brilliant idea. Maybe it is just gamification, like you were saying. Maybe it's some crazy new brilliant thing. But I think Pokemon looked at it and it was just like, there's a chance to make money here. We can keep up our idea of making a healthier life, which is a noble cause. And we can do something that's kind of different and innovative. Let's roll with it. Let's just see where it goes. And what whatever it turns into, what's nice for them is Nintendo already did so much of the research for them. Because you may recall for a while there, Nintendo, back under Iwata, was investing in their so-called quality of life platform, which was a remote sleep tracking device you put next to you while sleeping just like the Pokemon Go Plus Plus. And Bloomberg, I believe, later reported that they shelved it because they couldn't make it feel Nintendo-y enough, like it felt clinical, not fun. And now, lo and behold, here's Nintendo producing a sleep tracking product with a video game hook of some so they sort. they pawned it off on Pokemon? Or not necessarily pawned it off, but they found the hook. The hook is Pokemon is starting to strategize around health because they see a huge money-making opportunity there and they see success with Pokemon Go. What if the missing hook for our sleep thing, hypothetically is whatever Pokemon's thinking of for their sleep thing. And we you know, we don't know much of what the quality of life project itself ended up 
being before it was integrated with Pokemon Sleep. We don't even know how much of the quality of like project is actually in Pokemon Sleep, but it's just another example of like Nintendo never gives up on an idea. It's the sleep version of their multiple stabs at 3D or gameplay across screens or accessories you can scan to get extras like e-reader cards or amiibo. Like this is just what Nintendo does. So now the question becomes, at least in my mind, is it an innovation gimmick for the sake of an innovation gimmick or is it actually something cool? Is it just it gamification is like you say? Yeah. Is it a gamification thing like you say or is it like an inspired thing that we're not even thinking of? Because it can go one of two ways in my mind. And I think I think the easiest way to explain it is a Nintendo metaphor. So either one way of looking at it is Pokemon Go was the DS and Pokemon Sleep will be the Wii. Meaning one innovative idea fed into another and both were able to stand on their own as enticing individual propositions, but they were very closely linked in strategy and concept. Or Pokemon Go was the Wii and Pokemon Sleep will be the Wii U. Meaning they tried to match a generally innovative thing by riding its coattails with what amounts to more of a gimmick that isn't really enticing on its own and doesn't really have much direct synergy as much as Nintendo wanted to pretend it did. So that's the two routes it can go, I think. But if you want to take that metaphor like one step further, you know, through the DS, the Wii, and the Wii U days, they had a safety net. The core fan base was always there and was always going to support them. Wii U was one of Nintendo's worst-selling consoles, right? But they still pumped out content for the diehards, and the diehards, you know, that's us. We still bought it in the millions. We spent, you know, we got mil- millions of copies of Mario Kart were sold. Not as many as on Switch, but still millions. Millions of copies of 3D World, of Smash. You know, they still make games. And it seems like Pokemon Company, whatever Pokemon Sleep is, they, you know, for every oddball decision they decide to do, they're still doing things that would generate interest and money from those core fans, from the diehards, from us. And that's really what I feel like the rest of the Pokemon press conference was about. Like, they're like, here's a crazy pipe dream idea. Like, well, Pokemon Sleep is a big thing. We'll tell you more about it. Maybe it is. Investors, keep an eye out. But just in case, here's a bunch of other things we guarantee will make money and resonate with fans and we'll be fine. And I think the most obvious one of those is the upcoming Pokemon Home service, which will let you connect your Pokemon Bank, your Pokemon Go, and future games like Sword and Shield into one big database for moving your Pokemon to and fro on your smartphone. Be, in the cloud. Just be aware that the to and fro only applies to sh- Sword and Shield. That is true. Everything you can move everything into bank way. and only back and forth with Sword and Shield. That's a good point. Yeah. And um, kind of like let's go to Pokemon Go. Those Pokemon you send over there. Yeah. But and, it, and for that's and in the same way it's I think a major. But I mean it doesn't really matter since ultimately you want to move it to the newest thing. Pokemon Sword and Shield are the newest generation. Everything else is essentially getting replace so yeah and not only that but like think about like from their perspective they have they have however many i don't want to keep going to my ds i agree every time i have to it is nice that they're finally bringing everything up to speed the fact that i have to go back because i haven't touched pokemon bank in years like i have to pay five bucks just so that i could grab my pokemon and retrieve them and don't even and and never mind the fact which isn't that bad and never mind the fact that like there's us core fans who want to use it that way think of the other entire fan base of pokemon go fans who are very core to that huge revenue pokemon companies now making this is another way to convert them out of pokemon go and into other pokemon properties they can get them into sword and shield they can get them into let's go in a in a way on their phone that they're more comfortable with maybe than trying to sync their phone to their switch like there's there's a lot you know future projects they haven't even announced yet there's a lot of opportunities here and yeah let's say it's five bucks like pokemon bank that's just guaranteed money for the pokemon company from two different avenues go players and us core pokemon fans like yeah, five bucks a year yeah it's it's easy money what I do find interesting, though, about um, Home is you actually will be able to manage Pokemon trades right from home, locally and online. 
you could just do it on your phone. Which is really, really awesome. It like, correct me if I'm wrong, they have haven't they had limitations on trading in game up to this point? Like every game had some I mean, like you had to get to this point, you had to do this thing and then trading opens up. Yeah, but I mean that I'm sure will still be in place because that is to prevent people from trading in a level one hundred Pokemon from previous game. Yeah. So that you could just like steamroll the whole story. No, I know, but I'm just saying it's interesting that they're finally on some level letting go of that idea. Granted, it won't help you in some because I mean, like, well, you can only import in. I, mean, at I feel like that's point, a completely but... different thing. What they're letting what they're letting go mainly is just the fact that you can only do one Pokemon at a time and you have to wait for this through this long animation that at this point is. Well, we all know that. We don't know how long the animation will be and we don't know if you can batch. They didn't say that. Okay. You're well, assuming. Well, at least Which is a well, safe assumption, I would agree. Well, regardless, but... it's still a million times yeah. more convenient doing it on a phone wherever than doing it it's just interesting to see the evolution huh of um trading because it went from like being very limited to how you can trade only friends in real life to how you can like trade with friends but online to how you could trade with anyone through the global system through how you could you know there's still restrictions on when you can trade but then oh you have the smartphone app that you pay five dollars for yeah just trade when you want it's cool like i i don't think it's like game breaking because to your point like in the main game you'll still need to get to the point where you can lock the ability to import but it's interesting it's it's an opening up that game freak hasn't really done before with pokemon so kind of neat um i also found it kind of clever how they chose to counterbalance the weird new sleeping app experiment with promises of games that are guaranteed to do at least decently one was detective pikachu which we didn't see anything of but no is now coming to switch as a port with a new ending um, took them long enough. I felt like they should have done that when the movie came out. Maybe they'll time it with the DVD. I don't know. But there it is. It's happening. But the other is a new smartphone DVD, game. what is it? I mean, uh, Blu-ray, yeah. They should, you know, they should put, release it with the Betamax. Blu-ray, what year is this? Betamax. They should release it on VHS. Uh, yeah, the digital download. I meant the 4K release. For Blu-ray is 4K. 4K is Blu-ray. They're the same. Oh, whatever. There is do. Blu-rays that are not 4K, but there's no 4K that is not Blu-ray in a, in a physical form. Is it? Yeah. In a physical form, like a disc, only Blu-ray. Are sure? So what are these then? Um, Blu-ray, but they're Disney branded. 4K Ultra. Okay, give me that. I mean, this, this is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, it's two different things. No, 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 no. There's only one format. Blu-ray. It's right there next to the Sony logo. Blu-ray disc. Yeah, that's the Sony part. I mean, that's the Blu-ray part. Why do they have two logos on the other side then? Wait, let me see something. I see your point because it says Blu-ray and 4K. Let me look at the discs. Huh. They both have a blue... Oh. What? Oh, right there. Ultra HD Blu-ray. Well, yeah, Second I'm... logo on the HD 4K disc. Yeah, so they're both Blu-ray. Yes, Blu-ray comes in can support up to 4K, but there's no non-4K disc format. No, I know. I, I mean, know. there's no non-Blu-ray 4K. No, I just mean format. that there's not like, I guess, just another format. That, it's guess. still Blu-ray. There's branding yeah, different, yeah, yeah. but it's still ultimately Blu-ray. It's like CD-ROM versus like compact disc versus like it's all the same thing. There's labeled. I mean, I guess at this point it's like 720 and 1080. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's just another resolution. Anyway, my what was I going with this? Where was I going with this? Does it matter? I don't know. I was gonna talk about the smartphone game. Oh yeah, yeah, Detective Pikachu. So that's one way they're making money. The other is this smartphone game. Which is like, I think this is bound to do well, even if the game's whatever, because it leans all the way in on the fan service. It's like full, oh, you don't care about sleeping and you're a Pokemon fan? Well, you know what you do care about? Pokemon Masters. Or at least that's what they're hoping. Which is a game where the entire premise is that you get to see and battle all the past Pokemon trainers 
in a single place. It's like the Hyrule Warriors of Pokemon, except it will still apparently play kind of like Pokemon and not like a Warriors game. And they haven't said too much, except I'll offer, quote, a new type of battling that's, quote, casual, but still uniquely Pokemon. I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, it sounds like it's just a looser. I mean, I'm kind of curious to see what that actually turns into. What did you Have you seen the footage? What do you think of it? I don't get it. Yeah, it's it's weird because it's You're like... just fighting or you are legendary trainer? No, it seems like you will go through a series of battles of fighting other legendary trainers in three-on-three battles where you team says... up with some but they don't with others. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I... It's it... weird. And the battles is... Because something's implied that you get to create a team of the legendary trainers. Like, almost like Maybe you collect... you're right. Maybe it's, you're it's, like a coach and you pick your team. It, it, it sounds like you collect these trainers and you use them kind of like, like, Pokemon. like um, Fire Emblem status. But then the but battles play out like oh, yeah, 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 but, but you still play, yeah, that's it. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming the gotcha thing is, oh, cool, I got Brock. Now I get to yeah, I think use you're right. Brock in battles. I think you're oh, right. cool, now I have Misty. And and the po- and the trainers come with their Pokemon. Oh, now I have Red from Sun and Moon, from um, Gold and Silver. Oh, cool, now I have Red from Red and Blue or whatever. Oh, cool, now I have Red from Fire Red and Leaf Green. Oh, cool, now yeah. I have Red from... <laughs> they each yeah, have slightly different Pokemon. Right? Yeah, no, actually, that makes much more sense. And it, the, you're right on point about the gotcha thing because it is being developed by DNA. This is the game that they teased a month or two ago that we're like, what could it be? And the answer is this. It, it's funny, though, because the, the concept actually came from Game Freak itself. It came from Ken Sugimori. He's the guy that did all the original Pokemon art. And he's like, hey, well, if we did something with all these trainers, and then it seems like, yeah, this is what you do. You collect trainers as if they're Pokemon, and then you battle them. What's weird to me is, like, the battle system. It looks like, like, what I saw is there's one big attack button, one item button, and some sort of, like, elemental type icon button thing. And that's all we really know. We already know how it plays. Um, But in terms of, like, guaranteed revenue versus a gamble like Pokemon Sleep, this does seem like it'll tick the necessary boxes. Like, the meat of the game looks to be battles. They're perhaps strung together as a story that ropes in all these trainers and makes the gotcha make sense. I don't know. But it does seem like it's something that will be kind of like a faster, quicker, more casual thing that main Pokemon fans will like because it has all the nostalgia hooks. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll get a better sense of it pretty soon. Uh, they're promising more info this month sometime, probably after E3 of IDS. So we'll see. But, yeah, unless there's any other... Pokemon press conference or Pokemon Direct stuff. I think we finally just I think got talked through. About Pokemon for a while. I think we just got through all the Pokemon news there could possibly be. We'll have impressions from E3 next episode, but yeah, I don't know what else there's to say. But you know what's funny is like we are only we've only talked about Nintendo at this point. Like, believe it or not, there was more than Nintendo these past few weeks. Like the pre three weeks are always a busy time for announcement and leaks and like. Who boy, there were there were a lot of leaks this year. Like R.I.P. to Bandai Namco's security team. They really botched that one. Their entire lineup leaked. It's crazy. But anyway, there's no way we can possibly cover all the third party stuff. But we wanted to still touch on a few because you know they're part of the bigger Switch story at E3 in general. So what Andrew and I decided to do for you guys is uh, we picked three different stories that each represent one aspect of kind of the broader Switch third party story and situation that we're currently in. So we'll get, we're giving you the good, we're giving you the bad, and we're giving you the weird. And uh, we're going to start with the good. And these are going to be kind of like rapid fire style. So here we go. The good is a new ukulele, which was a surprise announced by the gang at uh, Platonic on Friday, I want to say. And it's called Ukulele and the Impossible Lair. And it's interesting because it, it seems to be trading in the inspiration of like the original 3D Banjo-Kazooie gameplay for 2D platforming a la Donkey Kong Country, but mixed with like 
almost Zelda, or may, maybe if you're keeping it in the realm of rare games, kind of like Banjo Kazooie Grunty's Revenge, you know, the, the one, the top down one from Game Boy Advance. Like, it's kind of that. So, so what it means or how it will work is that levels play out in side scrolling, fully polygonal, like 2.5D, very much like the Donkey Kong Country games. Um, and it really wears that inspiration on its sleeve, like right down to there's a DK style roll attack that you can do as ukulele. The music's composed by David Weiss and Crank, uh, uh, Crank Grant Kirkhope. Uh, and then on top of that, so you have all that, and that's just like, okay, they're doing a Donkey Kong Country, fine. But then on top of that, you have the top-down overworld gameplay with the puzzles to solve and the different areas to explore. And I know you saw the trailer. What, what Did it look cool to you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it looked different. It looked interesting. Definitely has my attention, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think what has my attention about it is the fact that the game... It's like they kind of backtrack from the ukulele idea because they... They finished it. I mean, yeah, so here's here's the thing about ukulele. Some of the people were okay with it. I mean, I don't know. No, well, here's no, my one issue, because no. I, I backed it. I have it. Yeah. I played it. Here's my one issue. It does capture the Banjo-Kazooie vibe, the 3D thing, but the worlds were so big that there just was not much going on in them. It just also felt kind of empty. I really like emptier. the feel of the controls. It was also a little slippery. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you look the at, like... The camera had this really annoying habit of recentering itself behind you yeah. Instead of just staying where you want it to be, yeah, and it gets really weird, especially when you're rolling. It's just I don't know, it's really annoying. Yeah, and like I feel like that the bigger, emptier worlds. Like because the thing about Banjo Kazooie, it was like yeah, it had open, it had like kind of like 3D worlds to explore, but they're pretty tight and small. Like there's a lot going on. You didn't have to walk very far without seeing much. Like it was compact because you know a, a smaller game because they had the tech that they had at the time. But it never felt that way. It never felt that way. But if you look at that versus Ukulele, where things are just massive and, and sprawling, it's so not like. I'm just yeah, no, it. I know, but like it, yeah, it's just compared to ukulele, it definitely felt more curated, I guess you could say, the worlds. I don't know how very sky, but um, what's cool with Impossible Lair in terms of both the controls you're saying and this open world thing I'm kind of was concerned about is like, at least theoretically, it's letting the rare staff, you know, the former rare staff at Platonic actually flex their rare glory day know how, but within more restricted spaces. That I guess they apparently need after all. Like, you know, you've got. It's better to start small and then go big. Exactly. And they kind of were too ambitious, I would say. Because even. I I mean, some parts, like I feel like like we mentioned, um, were well realized, but then there's stuff like the N64 filter that. Yeah, well, I know uh, you hate that. Yeah, but. But, like, the the thing I'm thinking is, like, so, okay, the controls were kind of slippery, let's say. The camera was kind of weird, and it felt like it was just lots of big emptiness. So, how you solve that? Well, the side scrolling parts have tighter controls by definition because you can't do the camera issues in side-scrolling. It's side-scrolling. So it lets them focus on the platform design. They don't have to figure out how to string together emptiness between platform platforming. They can just do the platforming and they're good. Then you have like the compactness of making the overworld top-down. Like It looks pretty compact and small and linear-ish. Um, and that lets them directly address the empty world issue by just you know the puzzles are there but you don't have to much like the platform you don't have to worry about stringing figuring out how to string them together so you could do like the 3d puzzles and the 2d platforming and put them together but it's two different types of gameplay within one game and you're fine you don't have it's like the pieces that worked well they broke off and then the things that didn't work well they just left to let fall to the wayside so theoretically at least that's the promise that this game has to me at least and if they pull it off it seems like it could be fun i'm not sure if the game's gonna be on the floor to demo this week um Platonic is promising more details during E3. Uh, one way or another, we're seeing more of this thing. If we get a chance to try it, we'll of course share impressions. But that that was the good, I would say. That was like a good example of a cool Switch game that kind of came up out of nowhere that's 
interesting. I'm hopeful for ukulele had its heart in the right place. It seems like it's good to back that. Um, but then up next we have the bad. And the bad came today while we're sitting at the World Championships. And it was over at EA Play, which was going on across town in Hollywood. They were like, hey guys, FIFA 20 is coming to Switch. Are you ready for the legacy game? And I remember when Jason first said, like, oh, FIFA's coming to Switch. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if it's what they did last time where it was just FIFA 19, but it was actually oh, this FIFA is worse 18 than last in disguise? Time. Yeah. And then we're I was like, like, they wouldn't do that. And then an hour later, they did that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so what is it? So what it is, they apparently have been doing this on PS3 and Xbox 360 for a little while now. They're actually called Legacy Editions, not Legacy Game. I misspoke. But uh, the idea is, what if we gave you all the roster updates, all the new kits, all the new, you know, cosmetics, but none of the new gameplay at all? Like the big thing on the PS4 and Xbox One version is like a street football mode called Volta. The Switch won't be getting that. The Switch won't be getting anything except roster updates, and then they're going to call it Legacy Edition and call it a day. And it seems like it might retail for 10 or 15 bucks less than the PS4 and Xbox One versions, but why is this not just DLC? Why are they not just letting you buy a roster update for 5 or 10 bucks and call, and call it? Like, I guess they're claiming there will be minor improvements or enhancements integrated in select game modes, but there's no new features. There's, no, there's nothing new. It's like buying... It's literally like if you bought Super Mario Odyssey and it was called Super Mario Odyssey 2 and all it did was add the costumes. But they charged 40 bucks, let's say, or 35 And sure, maybe... No, you can't even throw in the balloon thing, the Luigi balloon hunt thing, because that would be new content. So that's even more than what FIFA's doing. And it's just like... It's weird, because like FIFA 17 was billed as being the full game on Switch. It was a huge deal. Nintendo had a big presence of it at E3 at their booth. It was a big thing. It sold well. It was like, oh, you can play FIFA on handheld. It's great. FIFA 18 came out and it's kind of like, well, it's basically what 17 was, but yeah, we updated the rosters. The gameplay's been refined. We don't have any major new modes in any of the FIFAs. So, you know, it's just kind of a, a solid update, just like the other systems. They're like, all right, I guess. Sales weren't as hot. It didn't get as much attention from Nintendo. They kept accidentally promoting features on the Nintendo News Channel on the Switch that aren't actually in the Switch version, so that was kind of a little bit of a mess. And now here we are, I guess I mean 18 and 19, not 17 and 18, but anyway, now here we are 20, and they're not even doing that. Now it's even less. It's just like, what happened? Like, obviously you guys sabotage yourselves by making the last one weak, but like, 17 was huge, or 18 was huge, Why? and 19 was whatever, why is 20 like now worse? They're like, oh, we're going to make our own engine, and then we're Yeah, no, and they're saying, like, there's, there's still opportunity for growth, like, we're just talking, we're looking at what's best for the for the FIFA game now, it's like, this is not what, uh, I, this and, is what's best for you making like, it. We really found another way to kill the franchise so that we don't have, so that we could say, oh, it's And it, it just sucks, because, like, EA, it seemed like we were on the up and up with them. Remember those rumors they're going to start supporting Switch more, like, Frostbite would come to Switch, and then, like, Unravel 2 was announced for Switch, and then, like, FIFA, as I was saying, FIFA 18 was a big deal on Switch. Now we're getting a barely updated port that they're overcharging for. It's just kind of a bummer. And it seems like a lot of Western developers still aren't fully supporting the Switch. Like, there's weird glimmers of hope. The Call of Duty Modern Warfare website, like the new one, Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare 4, but the 4s cancel out, apparently. So Call of Duty Modern Warfare on their website, in the source code, is the Switch. Again, this has happened before. Will it show up on Switch? Who knows? But, like, You'd think on a system that does as well as Switch, Call of Duty would show up, or FIFA would get proper support, or like any of these things. But no, it doesn't. So I'm, I'd be I'd be really curious to see this week as E3 goes on, like what third party 
are actually and the West specifically are actually supporting Switch outside of say Bethesda because Bethesda is bringing a lot. They you know we got Wolfenstein, we got Doom, we're getting Doom Eternal. They're probably announcing stuff at their conference like by the time you listen to this. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll see. So that's the bad. Um, lastly, the weird. And I can't believe I'm about to say this, but let's talk about SpongeBob. Specifically, SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. Yep. We could classic. be, ta- yeah. I mean, we could be talking about like other things, like Harvest Moon's getting a spinoff game called Mad Dash. I have no idea what that means, but no, we're gonna talk about SpongeBob because I don't necessarily want the game, um, but THQ Nordic announced it as one of two games coming to Switch as you point out it's apparently a cult classic so they announced this and they announced a Darksiders spinoff called Genesis that's basically Diablo but Darksiders so that's a thing but you'd think like Darksiders is a big franchise that would get the attention but I feel like all the attention everywhere was on Spongebob and I, I don't understand why like why is the secret of this game why is it so popular I don't know. I mean, everything I've ever heard about it has just been overwhelmingly positive. And, yeah, like, I don't... I mean, it's cool. And, 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 I don't and, 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 I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I like SpongeBob around the time it came out. Like, the first three Dude, seasons were really it. great. Um, I never got to play this game. I, I used to watch SpongeBob all the time, too, know, yeah, to be yeah. clear. I'm no, not no, anti-SpongeBob. Yeah, no footage, one can be anti-SpongeBob. I saw some footage of this game, but just never got around to getting it. But I have seen... I don't know. Like, I guess over there, they're just, like, watching a bunch of different, like, gaming YouTube, YouTube channels, like... This game in particular just kind of has just always pops up as far as like best games or best licensed games, best licensed this or Which whatever. Is... So when this game got announced, to me, I guess when I heard the news, it was like, oh, that makes sense, I guess, or it was bound to happen. I don't know. It's funny because like it, it seemed like I knew a lot of people would be really happy because this game does seem to have a very strong following. But uh, it's funny because if I were to describe the game to you, it sounds like the most generic licensed game ever. Are you oh, ready? I bet. It's a 3D platformer collectathon where you play as SpongeBob, Patrick, and Sandy, right? And you uh, are fighting an evil army run by Plankton, and you do it through item collection and random mini games. They're all different in theme. That's the whole premise. Well, but somehow, like, it looks really good. Like the 3D cell shading look for half cell shade look looks really cool in the remake, and like I mean, people I, like it. I mean, the premise for that like can make any game sound. I know. Dull. I, mean, I know. I mean, you literally just described Banjo Kazooie and a bunch of other stuff. That's true. But like nothing, so, like because so, I was looking at Metacritic and like IGN gave it like a seven, which is good but not great. And it's just like back in the PS2 GameCube days, it's just like what is it about this game? Well, that, I'm not knocking well, that, the game. Well, There's clearly that, well, a secret sauce here I'm missing. No, no yeah. Well, oh, I thought you were gonna say like oh, this is clearly the secret. We're missing the secret formula, you know? Spongebob oh, I can't believe I missed that. Um, can we do that over? Can we just rewind the tape? Because <laughs> I mean, there must be something about maybe the mechanics of the game, like maybe just the way the gameplay works. Like it's just maybe. Has very snappy control that just feel really good. Maybe, maybe yeah. some of these mini games kind of like you don't really care all too much about Monkey Ball, but those specific Monkey Ball mini games were really sold it. Like maybe. Wait, hold on, back up. I do love Monkey Ball. I just ultra love Monkey Target. Don't sell short my Monkey Ball enthusiasm. Just I'm, Monkey Target. I'm calling it like I see it. Um, I beat most of the main game. I'm calling it like I see it. Not yeah. Okay. It. Okay. I mean, go ahead. What goes behind closed doors could be something else. I mean, I, don't know. I feel like talking about monkey ball <laughs> behind closed doors and what happens in secret is not the string of sentences that should have gone together. <laughs> I'm just saying. By the way, monkey ball coming back. They just recopyright ban- uh, banana blitz for no clear reason. But, I mean, honestly, there's the only thing that I don't know. Maybe is a thing is that maybe people are just remembering this game is better than it actually is. I mean, kind of like how Jeff Rose kind of like how I did with Luigi's Mansion, and I mean. The core game, I feel, is still really, really great. It was more the visuals, which 
to this, about Luigi, right? Yeah, Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, to this defense and a bunch of other remakes, especially like Crash, which is and Spyro, which is awesome. Like these games, when they get remastered, typically end up looking how you kind of remember them too. Like in your like when you kind of those. And they go look at the original. Yeah. Like, Wait, what? Yeah, like those yeah. rose-colored glasses. It's kind of like like oh cool. Like this is it's pretty much like this, it's the exact same gameplay. Yeah. Everything looks awesome. How I remember it. But then when you go back, it's like oh god, it's some it actually kind of becomes unplayable sometimes. So. SpongeBob, at least on the visual side, will probably like get that same effect where people still love that. It does but, look good, but, even if someone that doesn't remember the first. But the, game. yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's, I'm sure I don't know. I, I guess we we haven't played it, so yeah, I, I think. And I feel like even if we did play it now, we probably wouldn't get because we have the nostalgic. Yeah. yeah, I do wonder like how much of it. I mean, the same reason like people are getting destroy all people. I mean, I'm, I'm like, destroy all humans. Destroy all humans. I, I, I made it sound like you didn't say almost the same word. Because I realized <laughs> I said aliens. Like, no, no, no. The aliens are destroying the humans. Like, I was really excited about that game coming out. But I just never got around to playing it. So right. I'm and now you have a chance. Yeah, Except not on Switch. But I was going to say, it is funny with SpongeBob. Because I guess going into it, I just was like, is it the nostalgia? It kinda... Is it actually good? Is it like the SpongeBob meme culture we have right now that everyone's just like, oh my God, it's SpongeBob. Like, I, I, it's yeah, just, it, there was it, such a burst of interest. That it's just, definitely. Like, I, I guess it just falls like on those like hidden gem yeah. kind of deals. Kind of like I mean, to the same vein, it feels like a different generation's GoldenEye because GoldenEye is like a licensed sure. game okay. that like didn't really have any right to be like the cult classic that it is today. It's just like it's the GoldenEye game. I don't know. It ended up just being really, really good. Well, it well it did something that no other game had at the time. It brought first person shooters to consoles in a way that made sense. Actually, yeah, that's true. That game was really it's, it's actually awesome. pretty innovative. But I get your point. Um, and I do. And to be fair, the Transformers to, game for DS based on the 2007 movie by Michael Bay is way better <laughs> you than sound it, like you sound like you're reading a bibliography or something. It has is better it has is better than it has any right to be. That's, like it's that's a fair. really solid open world game that they somehow fit on the first DS where you can transform at will into a and helicopter, frankly, or anything, and fly anywhere. And it's like wow, like the people that made this must have really had this passion to make this game like super awesome as it is. Like you can literally play multiplayer and play tag and like just chase each other and your transform vehicles and stuff. I don't know, and, cool. and frankly, I suspect SpongeBob's one of those situations. They just do a really good job with it. And to be honest, like some of the stuff in Rehydrated, that's the name of it: SpongeBob SquarePants Bikini Bomb Battle for Bikini Battle for Bikini Bomb Rehydrated. Some of that actually sounds cool. Like it is cool they're adding previously cut content. Like they're actually building in ideas they didn't have time to build the first time. And then there's an online or offline two-player horde mode. And I just want to know what the horde is made of. I'm assuming angry robots. I'm secretly hoping just plankton clones or, like, SpongeBob memes coming at you. Just, like, small layer, capital layer, small layer, capital layer all coming in at you. I mean, they do sell them at Target. Really? Yeah, they have a meme collection or the meme... Oh, God. Or the meme archive. You know what? We're done. I'm done with the internet. Podcast some, is done. Some of them actually look... That's it. It's over. They're pretty... I mean, they're vinyl figures, so, like, I mean, they just look well-made. I just think it's, like, interesting. Like, well, and then they have, like, this caveman square chin Spongebob. Yeah. You, I mean, they're all squared. But. Yeah, you have, like, that Spongebob. You have the imagination Spongebob. You have the Patrick with the surprised face just sitting huh. down. That's funny. Yeah. But no, I, I'm not king. Oh, I'm done and, with the and, internet. And, and we're wrapping this podcast. And the <laughs> and, and the fan favorite that one where he's like kind of posed like a chicken. That's trying yeah. To that's the one as the small layer, big layer, small layer, the mocking yeah. one. Yeah, yeah that's mock- a, yeah. maybe that's the horror. It's just those guys clucking at you. Yeah. But uh, no, in all seriousness, unless you have any other topics you want to cover, oh, it. dude, it, we're we're about to, we're back with total E3 overload next episode. Like this was a lot, and it wasn't even fully E3 yet. This was just the uh, build up, as our name implies. But we'll be back. In our regular bi-weekly time, which means Sunday, June 23rd, with a total E3 blowout. It's it's actually – I kind of like that 
the 23rd because it's nicely removed from the commotion and hubble blue of the actual convention meaning we'll be able to bring you guys like our fully informed opinions on all the big news and you know so many game impressions that we'll have time to actually like stop and think about i mean like so many impressions rips it's gonna be a lot so you you have no idea so um i mean we don't even know you don't you can't know because we don't know how many we're gonna play but it's gonna be a lot so to make sure you don't miss it like this is one of our biggest episodes of the year be sure to follow and subscribe us uh follow us and subscribe to us there we go on dude i'm i've been up since 5 a.m it's 10 p.m right now it's been a long day uh anyway been a long day of sitting watching video games but anyway you could uh follow us on twitter at Ram nintendo you can subscribe to us on any podcast app you have we're on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, uh spotify stitcher tune in the list goes on and on we're also on youtube our channel is ram nintendo.com and you know for uh with e3 in particular if you want up to the minute adventures from the show floor you can follow us individually my twitter is already covered in nintendo tournament stuff and it's like day negative three of the convention still so i I'm at JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-R-R-O underscore O. And, um, yeah, I don't know if you have anything you want to add. All right, so with that, uh, I'm going to go get some sleep. Yeah, It's been a long nice. day. There's a very long, very fun, very Nintendo, Nintendo-y week ahead. So uh, enjoy E3, everyone. We'll see you in two weeks with news and impressions galore. If you thought this episode was big, huh, just you wait. Just you wait.